Tonight, on a very special Geekonomics podcast, the podcast players present Scrooge. Starring Jonathan Francia, Brian Kazaska, Chris Mortensen, Kylie Warnock, Mark Warnock, and Jeremy Hutzel as Ebenezer McHutzel in a special guest appearance by Bobby Kegler. Audio provided by James Cloder. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy. The Podcast Players presents Scrooge. Are we all ready? Yes, Hutzel, Big Show, Mark, Big Show. Bobby's got a question. Will, will, be a, will, will it be a time to take a break? Yes. 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 Page 49. Page 49. <laughs> page 49. <laughs> We're taking a break. We only have 49 pages to go. I'm ready. Go. There's 88 right. pages. Okay. There's 88 pages. <laughs> so we kind of, we, we picked a good spot. All right. Shut up. Shut The rolling start. The rolling start. All right. Three, two, Children, children, gather around. I'll tell you a story of the Christmas Carol. Children, quiet down, children, children. It's time to hear the story of the Christmas Carol. Old Marley was dead as a doornail. This must be distinctly understood or nothing wonderful can come of the story I'm going to retell you. So remember, old Marley was dead as a doornail. Register of his burial was signed by Ebenezer McHutzel. And Ebenezer McHutzel's name was good on the London Exchange for anything he chose to put his name to. Now it was late afternoon on Christmas Eve in the year 1843. The exchange is packed with well-dressed businessmen who hurry up and down and crump the money <laughs> in their pockets. The money? And converse in groups and look at their watches and trifle thoughtfully with their great gold seals and so forth. Among their number is a fat man with monstrous chin who chats with a red-faced man with a... something. (laughs) (laughs) He smells amazing. He he is a great smelling man. The red-faced man with a pendulous excrescence. Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart. (laughs) Also present is a man with a sharp and bitter face and as bald as Patrick Stewart. Give or take a hair. This is Ebersneezer McHutzel. Ebersneezer McHutzel is bundling up his coat and heading for the exit when the fat man makes eye contact with him. Ah, Mr. Ebenezer McCutcher. How are you today, sir? Are you off to home to keep Christmas? I am not in the habit of keeping Christmas. Why are you leaving so fucking early? <laughs> well, Christmas has a habit of keeping men from doing work. What can I say? Come on, it's the nature of things. The ants toil and grasshoppers sing and play, Mr. Ebenezer McCutzel. 
It ain't is what it is, and a grasshopper is what it is, and Christmas is a humbug. Good day to you, sir. The two men laugh at Ebba Sneezer McHutzel <laughs> as he exits the exchange. <laughs> <laughs> Moments later, on a massive stone steps just outside the exchange, a shivering, poorly dressed man sees Ebba Sneezer McHutzel walking toward him. Ebba Sneezer McHutzel pays him no heed and walks past. The man follows behind him and clutches at Ebba Sneezer McHutzel's sleeve. The two men descend the steps together. Mr. Ebenezer McHustle, sir. Uh, who are you? Sammy Wilson. Uh, oh, yes. You owe me a little matter of 20-odd pounds, I believe. Well, if you want to pay it, come to my place of business. I do not conduct my affairs in the streets. I can't pay you, sir. <laughs> uh, I'm not surprised. No, not unless you give me more time. Did I ask you for more time to lend me money? No. No, sir. Then why should I ask you for more time to pay it back? I can't take my wife to the prison. <laughs> uh, then leave her behind. Why should, why should she go to a debitor's prison anyways? She That's didn't buy the 20 pounds. Oh. You did. What has your wife got to do with it? For that matter, what have I got to do with it? Good afternoon to you. What's love got to do? <laughs> What's love? <laughs> uh, I knew that was coming. Are you reading that part? Yes, I'm waiting for a lull in Brian's laughter. He <laughs> 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 choke on his marshmallows. <sighs> Emma Sneezer McHutzel tries to walk off, but the band clutches at his sleeve. But Mr. Ebenezer McHutzel, it's Christmas! Ebba Sneezer McHutzel shakes the man off. Christmas has even less to do with it, my dear sir, than your wife has, or I for that matter. You still owe me 20 pounds that you're not in any position to repay. If it was the middle of a heat wave on August Bank or another holiday of some sort. Good afternoon. I must be going. Bastille Day. Bastille. Wondering what the bank holiday is, but okay. It's Fourth of July Arbor Day. Ebba Sneezer McHutzel stalks away as a stunned man stands and stares at him. Outside Ebba Sneezer McHutzel's counting house, cold, bleak, biting weather, people in the street go whizzing up and down, beating their hands yeah. upon their breasts and stamping their feet up and upon the pavement stones <laughs> to warm them. <laughs> The city clock strikes three, but it's quite dark already. Candles flare in the windows of the neighboring offices, like ruddy smears upon the palpable brown air. The fog comes pouring in at every, in every chink and keyhole, and is so dense that although the street is narrow, the houses opposite are mere phantoms. The sign above the counting house reads, Abbasneezer McCutzel and Marley. A tall man, who we will come to know as Ebbesneezer McHutzel's nephew, Fred, rapidly walks up to the door, opens it, and enters. Ebbesneezer McHutzel's clerk, Bob Cratchit, sits in a dismal little cell, a sort of a tank copying letters. There's a small fire, so small it looks like there's only one lump of coal. The clerk puts on his white comforter, trying and failing to warm himself at the candle. Fred appears, all in a glow, his face ruddy and handsome, his eyes sparkle, and his breast smokes in the cold. He grins at Bob Cratchit, who raises an eyebrow, surprised to see him. 
Fred crosses to the doorway of an adjacent office in which someone sits, hunched over a desk, busily writing. A Merry Christmas, Uncle! God save you! Ugh, bah humbug! Christmas a humbug, Uncle? You don't mean it. I'm sure you don't. I do, but Merry Christmas anyways. What right have you to be merry anyway, anyhow? What reason have you? You're poor enough, aren't you? Come! Oh, snap! <laughs> Come, then! What right have you to be dismal? What reason have you to be morose? What? <laughs> <laughs> You're rich enough! <laughs> bah, Don't be cross, Uncle! What asshole. else can I be when I live in such a world of fools as this Merry Christmas? Out upon Merry Christmas, what Christmas time to you but a time for paying bills without money? A time for finding yourself a year older, but not an hour richer. A time for balancing your books and having every item in them through it, rounded dozens of months presented dead against you. <sighs> if I could work my will, every idiot who would go about saying Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled with his own pudding and buried with a stalk of holly through his heart. He should, I say. Uh, uncle? Nephew? Keep Christmas in your own way and let me keep it in mine. Keep it? What are you? You don't, but you don't keep it. Let me, let me leave. Leave it alone then. Much good may it be to you. Much good it has ever done you. Okay, Uncle, I have a long monologue coming up here. <laughs> there are many things from which I might have deserved good, but which I have not prof profited, I dare say. Christmas among the rest, but I am sure I have always thought of Christmas time when it has come around apart from the whatever this word is, due to its scared name or origin, if anything belonging to it can be apart from that, as a good time, a kind, forgiving, charitable, pleasant time, the only time I know of, in the long calendar of the year, when men and women, and you know, boys and girls, seem by one constant open their shut up hearts <coughs> freely and to think of people below them as they really were following passengers to the grave, and not another race of creatures bound on the other journeys. And therefore, Uncle, thou it has not put a scrap of gold in my pocket or my wife's, I believe that has done me good. And I will, it will do me good, and I say, God bless it. Fuck you. Yeah. Oh, snap. Bob Cratchit still on, oh, no. <laughs> Bob Cratchit still in the tank, involuntarily applauds. Becoming eminently sensible of the, becoming immediately sensible of the in impropriety, he quickly pokes a fire and extinguishes the last frail spark. Take that spark. <sighs> Let me hear another sound from you, and you'll keep Christmas by losing your job. Oop. You're quite a powerful speaker, sir. I wonder mm -hmm. you don't go into Parliament. Mm -hmm. Well, don't be angry, Uncle. Come. Can you dine with us tomorrow? A oh. long pause. Will you please come see us, I mean? No. I'll see you all right. I'll see you in hell. <laughs> oh. oh! But why? 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 Why did you get married, Fred? Why? Because I fell in love! <laughs> Confused. <laughs> Taking the reading of the script way too literally, Chris, by the way. Just let you know. He's reading all the <laughs> notes. <laughs> all the parentheses and everything. 
I know, I was just adding humor. <laughs> you're, you're adding something right. Ebba sneezes at McHutzel, looks at him as if falling in love with the, was the only thing in the world. More ridiculous than a Merry Christmas. Because you fell in love. Oh, please. Good afternoon, Fred. Uncle, you never come to see me before that happened. Why give it the reason for not coming now? I said good afternoon. I'm leaving. I want nothing from you. I'm asking nothing from you. Why can't we be friends? I said goodbye. <laughs> I'm sorry. With all my heart to find you so resolute, we have never had any quarrel to which we have been a party. But I have made the trial in homage to Christmas, and I'll keep my Christmas humor to the last. So Merry Christmas, Uncle. I love you. <sighs> Good afternoon and Merry Christmas to you. Fred. And a Happy New Year! <sighs> Goodbye. Fred leaves the room with a wiry grin. <clears throat> and on his way out the front door and buttoning his coat, he exchanges greetings with Bob Cratchit. How is Mrs. Cratchit in the small, assorted uh, Cratchits? The Cratchits? Oh, oh, very good, sir. Yeah. <laughs> All champing at the bit, waiting for Christmas to begin, champion, eh? Champion, champion, yep. Oh, yes, sir. All very eager. And the little, um, little lame boy. <laughs> <laughs> Your son? He's the lame boy, Jenny Tim? Don't make fun of my son. I close it. It's just right here. Oh, he's he no has help. a name, and his name is Tim. The tiny one. The tiny Tim, yes. That's right, he is. How, how is he? We're in high hopes. He's getting better, sir. <laughs> Good. A Merry Christmas to you and the little guy. Same to you, sir, I'm sure. No, oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Bob Cratchit watches Fred exit, then glances at Ebersneezer McCutzel's office. Surprised, surprised to find Ebersneezer McCutzel glaring at him. And you, 15 shillings a week and a wife and family, talking about a Merry Christmas. I'll retire to Bedlam. Bob Cratchit watches Ebersneezer McHutzel shake his head and return to his desk. <sighs> Not long after, two portly gentlemen, pleasant to behold, stand with their hats off in Ebersneezer McHutzel's office. They hold books and papers in their hands and bow to him. The first gentleman glances at a list. Ebenezer, Mix Hutzel, and Marley's, I believe. Have I the pleasure of addressing Mr. Ebenezer McHutzel or Mr. Marley? Mr. Marley has been dead for seven years now. Seven years ago this very night. The two gentlemen exchange glances while Ebenezer McHutzel grins malevolently at them. The first gentleman hands his credentials to Ebenezer McHutzel. We have no doubt his liber liberality is well represented by his surviving partner. At the ominous word liberality, Ebersneezer <laughs> McHutzel frowns, shakes his head, and hands the credentials back. The second gentleman takes pen in hand. At this festival season of the year, Mr. Ebersneezer McShell, whatever your name is, is more than unusual desirable that we should make some slight provisions for the poor and... Whatever that word is. This <laughs> <laughs> suffers greatly at the present time. Many thousands um, are in want of common necessities. Hundreds of thousands are in want of common comforts and uh, sir and stuff. There are prisons, you know. Mm, the gentleman lays down his pen. Mm. Plenty, Plenty of prisons. prisons. 
The treadmill and the pool law are in full vigor, then. What the deuce? You missed like They a are. Line. Still, I wish I could say they had my lines. <laughs> where, where Hopefully, just like three lines. And the union workers. You work, you're supposed to be in, in the union workhouses. Yeah. Oh, well, okay. And the union workhouses, are they still in operation? They are. Still, I wish I could say they were not. The treadmill and the poor law are in full vigor, then, I see. Both busy, very busy, sir. Oh, I was afraid from what you said at first that something had occurred to stop them in their useful course. I'm very glad to hear it. Under the impression that they scarcely furnish Christian cheer of mind or body to the magnitude, a few of us are attempting to raise a fund to buy the poor some meat and drink and means of warmth. What shall I put you down for? Nothing. Uh, you wish to be anonymous? I wish to be left alone. Since you ask me what I wish, gentlemen, then it is my answer. I don't make merry myself at Christmas, and I can't afford to make idle people merry either. I help to support the establishments I have not mentioned. They cost enough, and those who are badly off must go there. Many can't go there, and many would rather jerk you off. <laughs> uh, if they would rather die, they'd better do it and decrease the surplus population. Besides, excuse me, I don't know that. But you might know it now. It's not my business. It's enough for a man to understand his own business and not to interfere with others. Mine occupies me constantly. Now, good afternoon and be off with you. Ebus Nizer Mikutza returns to his paperwork as the gentlemen exchange astonished looks. Wow. <gasps> I still can't find Brian. I miss up my lines. <laughs> the fog and darkness have thickened. People run about with their flaring torches proffering their services to go before horses and carriages and conduct them on their way. <laughs> At the corner, some laborers repair gas pipes and have lightened a great fire in an iron basket, round which a party of ragged men and boys gather, warming their hands and wringing their <coughs> eyes before the blaze is in rapture. The water plug being left in solitude, it overflowings have sun congealed and turned into misanthropic ice. The brightness of the shops, where holly sprigs and berries crackle in the lamp heat of the windows, make pale faces ready as they pass. A lean woman emerges from the butchers with a package of meat. A small boy nervously approaches Ebesneezer McHuttle's window to regale him with a Christmas carol. But as the first sound of God bless you, merry gentlemen, may nothing be you dismay, Ebesneezer McHuttle seizes a ruler with such energy of action that the singer flees in terror. <laughs> the moment the boy has fled, Ebenezer McCuttle's threatening countenance relaxes and he grins, rather pleased with himself. Ebenezer McCuttle glances at the church tower, nearly invisible in the fog. As it strikes the tower, the tremulous vibrations afterwards as if its teeth were chattering in its frozen head. Time to shut up and shut up the counting house. <laughs> <laughs> With an ill will, Ebesneezer McCutzel dismounts from his stool and nods at Bob Cratchit, who instantly sniffs his candle out and puts on his hat. Uh, I suppose you'll want all day tomorrow? Uh, if if uh, quite convenient, sir. It's not convenient, and it's not fair. If I was to stop half a crown for it, you, you'd think yourself ill-used. I'll be 
bound. Bob Cratchit smiles faintly. <laughs> and yet, you don't think me ill-used when I pay a day's wages for no work. It's only once a year, Mr. Ebenezer McCutzle. A poor excuse for picking a man's pocket every 25th of December. Ebenezer McCutzle buttons his great coat to the chin. But I suppose you must have the whole day. Be here all the earlier the next. Oh, I will. I promise. Ebenezer McCutzle walks out into the street with a growl. Bob Cratchit closes the office in the twinkling. A coatless, shivering Bob Cratchit locks the front door and rushes off with the long ends of his white comforter dangling below his waist. <laughs> Ebenezer McCutzel eats a melancholy dinner at a melancholy tavern. The newspapers he has just read lie in a stack on his table. He studies his banker's book. A dark and threatening building. Nobody lives in it but Ebenezer McCutzel. The other rooms are all let out of, as offices. The yard is so dark that Ebenezer McHutzel gropes with his hands through the fog and hey, frost to the black old doorway <laughs> of the house on which is a fairly large knocker. Knocker. Oh, that's, <laughs> knocker. That's, that's one big knocker. It's one big knocker. <laughs> Just one. Just one, yeah. Bigger than a pant load. <laughs> Ebenezer McHutzel puts his key in the lock of the door and glances at the knocker. Without it undergoing any in intermittent process of change, the knocker is no longer a knocker. But Marley's face. Ebenezer McHutzler grasps. Marley, is that you? It is knocker. Marley's face, not an impenetrable shadow as the other objects in the yard are, but with a dismal light about it, like a bad lobster in a dark cellar. <laughs> what? Bad lobster. Not... <laughs> Not angry or ferocious, the face looks at Abysneezer McHutzel as Marley used to look. With ghostly spectacles turned up upon its ghostly forehead, the hair curiously stirred as if the breath of breath or hot air. Eyes wide open but perfectly motionless. That and its livid color make it horrible. But its horror seems to be in spirit of the face and beyond its control, rather than a part of its own expression. As Abysneezer McHutzel Let's go of the key and stares fixedly at the phenomenon. It becomes a knocker again. Oh. Started. Ebenezer McHutzel puts his hand upon the key, turns it sturdily, walks in, and lights his candle. As he enters the hall, Ebenezer McHutzel pauses to look cautiously behind the door, as if he half expects to see Marley's pigtail sticking out into the hall. But there's nothing on the back of the door, except the screws and nuts that hold the knocker on. <laughs> Ebenezer McHutzel closes the door with a bang. The sound echoes through the house like the thunder. He fastens the door, walks across the hall, and up the stairs, slowly trimming his candle as he goes. Up a grand flight of stairs, very wide, very dark, Ebenezer McHutzel peers up into the darkness, and for a moment he thinks he sees something that looks like a hearse going on before him in the gloom. He passes, blinks, Shakes his head and continues, muttering to himself. In Ebenezer McHutzel's room, a suspicious, slightly unnerved Ebenezer walks through his gloomy suite of rooms sitting room, lumber room, bedroom, to be sure that everything's all right. In his sitting room, he finds nobody under the table. 
Nobody under the sofa. A small fire in the crate, spoon and basin ready, and a little saucepan of gruel. Ebenezer McHutzel has a cold in his head. Upon a hob, lumber room is as usual. That made no sense. <laughs> old fire guard, old shoes, two fish baskets, washing stand on three legs, and a poker. Damn near killed her. <laughs> Jack's wild. Jack! <laughs> Aces are wild. In the bedroom, is as usual, nobody under the bed, okay. nobody in the closet. Mm. Suddenly, he sees a ghostly white shape in the darkness on the opposite side of the room. Eben sneezes McHutzel, tenses up for a moment until he realizes it's only his dressing gown, hung up in a suspicious attitude against the wall. Suspicious again. Quite satisfied, he closes his door and locks himself in. In fact, he double locks himself in, not his custom. Secured against surprise, he returns to the bedroom, takes off his cravat, and starts to put on his dressing gown, slippers and nightcap. In his sitting room, <laughs> having changed clothes, Ebersneezer McHutzel sits down before the fire to take his gruel. Right in the ass. <laughs> I knew you were going to say something like that. Wow. <laughs> can't sit for five seconds. It's been upon the hob this entire time. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you would have thought it by accident. Woohoo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. There right, you go, go. Are you okay now? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not. I can look, don't look at me. <laughs> no, wait for him to pop again. I know he's going to start laughing again. Just go. It's a very low fire, and ever since McCutzel sits close to it. The fireplace is an old one, but some <coughs> Dutch merchant l long ago, and paved all around with quaint Dutch tiles designed to illustrate the scriptures, Cain's and Abel's, Pharaoh's daughters, queens of Sheba, angelic messengers descending upon the air are clouds like featherbeds. Abraham's, Balthazar's, apostles putting off to sea in butter boats, hundreds of figures. Abyssinia McHutzel takes a mouthful of gruel and glances at the fireplace. Of every tile adorned with Marley's face as it was on the floor, as it was in the door knocker. Ebbets needs a McHutzel, blinks, and <coughs> sees that the tiles have returned to normal. Hmm? Ebbets needs a McHutzel, rises and paces the room, feeling unsettled. After several turns and more than a few nervous glances at the fireplace, he sits down again. As he throws his head back in the chair, his glance happens to rest upon a bell. A disused bell that hangs in the room. As he looks, the bell begins to swing. It swings so softly at the onset that it scarcely makes a sound. But soon it rings out loudly, and for the next twenty seconds, it does every bell in the house. Throughout an uneasy look, slowly crosses Ebenezer McHutzel's face. All at once, the bells cease. Ebenezer McHutzel relaxes, but only for a moment. A clanking noise comes from deep down below, as if some person was dragging a heavy chain over the casks in the wine merchant's cellar. The sound of a downstairs door flying open with a booming sound and the clanking noise of much louder on the floors below. Then coming up the stairs and coming straight towards his door, Ebersnizam Hustle starts talking to himself. Ugh, it's still a humbug. I won't believe it. The cutter leaves Ebersnizam Hustle's face, though, when without a pause, the source of the noise comes on through the heavy door and passes into the room before Ebersnizam Hustle's very eyes. <coughs> Upon it, it's coming in, the dying flame leaps up in the fireplace and falls again. 
The same face. The very same. Jacob Marley's ghost in his pigtail, usual waistcoat, tights, and boots, the tassels on the ladder bristling like his pigtail, and his coat skirts, and the hair upon his head. A wrapper, a folded kerchief, is bound around Marley's head and chin. A long chain is clasped about his middle, wound about him like a tail, and made of cash boxes, keys, padlocks, ledges, deeds, and heavy purses, rotten steel. Marley's body is transparent, said Ebenezer Sneezer McHutzel, Observing him closely, he can look through his waistcoat and see the two buttons on his coat behind. Ebenezer McHutzel feels the need to crack a joke to keep down his terror. I, I often heard it said you had no heart, Marley, but I never believed it, at least until now. Ebenezer McHutzel stares into the ghost's death-cold eyes and reverts to his cold and caustic self. What, what is it you want with me? Much. Who, who are you? Ask me who I was. Who were you then? <coughs> oh, much better. In life, I was your partner, Jacob Marley. Can you, can you sit down? I can. Then please do. Marley sits down on the opposite side of the fireplace, as if he were quite used to it. Ebenezer McHutzel stares at the ghost's fixed glazed eyes as it sits perfectly motionless through its hair and skirts and tassels still quiver as if by the hot vapor from an oven. You don't believe in me? No, I don't. What evidence would you have of my reality beyond that of your senses? I, I don't know. Why do you doubt your senses? Because a little thing affects them. A slight disorder of the stomach makes them cheat. You may be in a bit of undigested beef, a, a, a blot of mustard, a, crumb of old cheese, a fragment of an undone potato, more, more gravy than of grave about you, I think. Whatever you are, you see this toothpick? Ebenezer McHutzel holds up a toothpick. The ghost's eyes do not move. I do. You are not looking at it. But I see it notwithstanding. Well, I have but to swallow this and be for the rest of my days persecuted by a legion of goblins, all of my own creation. Humbug, I tell you, humbug! At this, the spirit rises, a frightful cry, <laughs> and shakes its chains with such a dismal and appalling noise that Ebenezer McCutzel holds on tight to his chair to save himself from falling in a swoon. Marley starts taking off the bandage around his head as if it were too warm to wear indoors. When Marley's lower jaw drops down to his breast, Ebenezer McHutzel falls to his knees and claps his hands before his face. Mercy, dreadful apparition, what do you want with me? Man of worldly mind, do you believe in me or not? I do. I must. But, but why do spirits talk with earth and with me? What, what do they come for? I walk in the earth, not talk with it. It is required of every man that the spirit within him shall walk among those his fellow men and travel far and wide. And if that spirit goes not forth in life, it is commended to do so after death. It is doomed to wander this world. Oh, woe is me, and witness what it cannot share, but might have shared on earth and turned to happiness. Again, Marley raises a cry and shakes ah! his and wrings his shadowy hands. You, you're angry. Tell me why. 
I wear the chain I forged in life. I made it link by link, yard by yard. I girded it on my own free will, <coughs> and my own free will I wore it. Is it a pattern strange to you? Ever sneezes and McCutzel trembles more and more. <laughs> or would you know the weight and length of the strong coil you bear yourself? It was full as heavy and as long as seven Christmases ago. You've labored on it since. It is a ponderous chain. Ever sneezes and McCutzel glances around him on the floor in expectation of finding himself surrounded by some 50 or 60 fathoms of iron cable, but he sees nothing. Jacob, old Jacob Marley, tell me more. Please, speak comfort to me. I have none to give. It comes from other regions, Ebenezer McHutzel, and it is convened by other ministers to other kinds of men. Nor can I tell you what I would. A very little more is all permitted to me. I cannot rest, I cannot stay, I cannot linger anywhere. My spirit never walked beyond our counting house, mark me. And in life, my spirit never roved beyond the narrow limits of our money-changing hole and where his journeys lie before me. You, you must have been very slow about it, Jacob. Slow? Seven years dead and traveling all the time. The whole time, no rest, no peace, incessant torture of remorse. You travel fast? On the wings of wind. You, <laughs> you might have gotten over a great quantity of ground in seven years. Marley screams yeah! another cry and cranks his chains hideously. Oh, captive bound and double ironed, not to know the ages of incessant labor by immortal creatures, for this earth must pass into eternity before the good of which is susceptible is all developed. Not to know that any Christian spirit, working kindly in its little sphere, whatever it may be, will find its mortal life too short for its vast means of usefulness. Not to know that no space of regret can make amends for one's life's opportunities misused. Yet such was I. Oh, such was I. But you were always a good man of business, Jacob. Business? Mankind was my business, the common welfare was my business, charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. Marley holds up his chain at arm's length, as if that were the cause of all his unavailing grief, and flings it heavily on the floor again. Blank. At this time of year I suffer most. Why did I walk through crowds of fellow beings with my eyes turned down and never raise them to that blessed star which led the wise man to a poor abode? Were there no poor homes to which its light would have conducted me? Ebenezer McHutzel shivers. <sighs> Hear me, my time is nearly gone. I will, but please don't be hard upon me. How is it that I appear before you in a shape that you can see, I may not tell. I have sat invisible beside you many and many a day. Ebenezer McHuttle shivers at this and wipes his perspiration from his brow. There is no light part of my penance. I am here tonight to warn you that have yet a chance and hope of escaping my fate, a chance and hope of procuring you, Ebenezer. You were always a good friend to me. Thank you. You will be haunted by three spirits. Ebenezer McHuttle's jaw drops almost as low as Marley's had done. Is, is that the chance and hope you mentioned, Jacob? It is. I, I think I'd rather not, though. Well, without their visits, you cannot hope to shun the path I tread. Expect the first tomorrow, when the bell tolls one. Couldn't I take them all at once and have it be over and done? 
Whoa, we're not in the business of threesomes, or foursomes, or orgies. Expect a second on the next night at the same hour. The third upon the next night, when the last stroke of 12 has ceased to vibrate in your pants. Look to see no more, and look that, for your own sake, you remember what has passed between us. Oh, man. The money hole. Ebus needs to make Hutchel fences to raise his eyes again and finds his supernatural visitor confronting him in an erect attitude and with its chain wound over and about its arm. Marley takes his wrapper and wraps it around his head. As before, Ebenezer McHutzel winces at the clinking sound Marley's teeth make. When his jaws are brought together by the bandage, Marley walks backward from him, and with every step, the nearby window raises itself a little so that when the ghost reaches it, it's wide opened. He beckons Ebenezer to approach, which he does. When they get within two paces of each other, Marley holds up his hand, warning him to come no nearer. Ebenezer McHutzel stops, not so much in obedience, as in surprise and fear, for on the raising of his hand he becomes sensible of confused noises in the air, incoherent sounds of lamination and regret. Wheelings and expressly sorrowful and self-accusatory, Marley, after listening for a moment, joins in the morphal dirge and floats out the window into the bleak dark night. Ebenezer McCutzel follows to the window. Desperate in his curiosity, he looks out. Outside his building in the foggy air is filled with phantoms, wandering hither and thither in the restless haste and moaning as they go. Every one of them wears chains like Marley's. Some few, who might be guilty governments, are linked together. None are free. Many had been personally known to Ebenezer McCutzel in their lives. One old ghost in a white waistcoat with a monstrous iron safe attached to, a, to its ankle cries piteously at being unable to assist a wretched woman with an infant, whom it sees below, upon a neighboring doorstep. The misery, with them, the misery with them is all clearly that they sought to interfere for good in human matters and have lost the power to forever. Whether these creatures fade into the mist or the mist enshrouds them, it's unclear. But they and their spirit voices fade together. The night becomes as it had been Ebenezer McHutzel walked home. In Ebenezer McHutzel's sitting room, he closes the window and examines the door by which the ghost had entered. It's still double locked, as he had locked it with his own hands. The bolts are undisturbed. He cries to say, humbug, but stops at first. That's the first syllable. Back in Ebenezer McHutzel's bedroom, he closes his bedroom door and crosses to his bed. Without undressing, he gets in and falls asleep instantly. The light from the fire in the sitting room is visible under the closed bedroom door. <laughs> Ebenezer McCutzel wakes in darkness. Sometime later, the fire has gone out in the sitting room as the chimes of a neighboring church strike 12. Ebenezer McCutzel counts on it with his fingers. 12. It was past two when I went to bed, though. Ebenezer McCutzel scrambles out of bed and gropes his way to the window. Hey, he rubs the frost off with the sleeve of his dressing gown, but all that he can make out is that it's very foggy and very quiet. <laughs> Clock must be wrong. Icicle must have gotten to the works. Ebenezer McCutzel lights a candle and sits on the edge of his bed, looking at his bedside alarm clock. It reads 12. 12? That's impossible. 
I can't have slept through a whole day, far into the night. He picks up the clock and checks it, then seems to remember something. Now, of course, the ghost had warned Mr. Ebersneezer McCutzel that a spirit would visit him when the bell told one. Ebersneezer McCutzel appears to make a decision of some kind and begins to fiddle with his clock. So he resolved to lie awake until the hour was past, and considering that he could no more go to sleep than go to heaven, this was perhaps the wisest decision he could make. Naturally, he didn't want to be caught dozing off, so he made sure to set the alarm on his clock to go off precisely at one. Emma sets the alarm and throws open all the bed curtains as he may keep a sharp lookout on the room and sits up in bed, waiting for his visitor. But an hour later, Ebersneezer McHutzel, warily sitting in a bed, watches the clock tick to one. The tiny alarm bell goes off. Ebersneezer McHutzel looks around the room. Nothing. Bah! He sighs, whether in relief or disappointment or embarrassment. It's hard to tell. Blows out the candle, clenched at the door, the fire having gone out. No light shines through the, the crack in the bottom of the door to the sitting room. Ebersneezer McCutzel draws all the bed curtains shut, curls up under the covers, and with a peaceful, satisfied look in his face, he shuts his eyes. <clears throat> the church bell sounds with a deep, dull hollow, melancholy one. Ebersneezer McCutzel's eyes pop open, and a wave of dread passes over his face. A wickedly bright light flashes up in the room, and the curtains of Ebersneezer McCutzel's bed are instantly drawn aside. Ebersneezer McCutzel starting up into a half-recumbent attitude, finds himself face to face with an unlucky visitor who drew him. It's a weird, impressive figure, like a child, not yet as a, like a child as like an old man, viewed through some supernatural medium, which gives him the appearance of having receded from the view and being diminished to a child's proportions. Its hair, which hangs about its neck and down its back, is white as if with age, and yet the face was not a wrinkle on it, and the tenderest bloom is on its skin. The arms are very long and muscular, the hands the same, as if its hold were of uncommon strength. Its legs and feet, most delicately formed, are like those upper members bear. It wears a tunic of the purest white. Round its waist is bound a luscious belt with a beautiful sheen. It holds a branch of fresh green holly in its hand, and in singular contradiction of that wintry emblem, has its dress trimmed with summer flowers. From the crown of its head, there springs a bright, clear jet of light by which all this is visible, and which is doubtless why it uses, in its duller moments, a great extinguisher for a cap, which it now holds under its arm. Its belt sparkles and glitters now in one part and now in another, and it is continuously morphing. What is light one instant, at another time is dark, so the figure itself fluctuates in its distinctness. Being now a thing with one arm, now with one leg, now with twenty legs, now a pair of legs without a head, now a head without a body, of which dissolving parts no outline is visible, and the dense gloom wherein them they melt away and then reform, distinct and clear as ever. Uh, are you the spirit, sir, whose coming was foretold to me? Can you just hear the narrator? Yes, I am. The voice is soft and gentle, singularly low as if instead of being so close beside Ebony McCutzel, it's at a distance. Who are you? What are you? I am the ghost of Christmas past. L long past? No, 
Ebis Nizamakatsa winces and blinks at the com the light coming from the ghost crown. Uh, I wonder if you might uh, put on a hat, please. I didn't mean to offend. Uh, uh, what business business brings you here? Your welfare. Well, I'm much obliged, but I wonder if a good night's sleep wouldn't be more conducive to that end. Your reclamation. <laughs> Take it. <laughs> oh, I got more. Ladies and gentlemen, oh, yeah. Enfield <laughs> Education <laughs> System. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell is an narrator? <laughs> Everyone know what we're getting Chris for Christmas? A dictionary. dictionary. <laughs> this is so mean. Well, you, we did miss I'll guess you was thesaurus then. <laughs> right. The ghost puts out a strong hand as it, it speaks <laughs> and clasps him gently by the arm. Don't try to take my lines over. Well, go. Thank you. Uh, the okay. ghost puts out its strong hand. Okay. <laughs> Oh, yeah, we don't need a repeat for a delinquent narrator. Delinquent narrator. Rise and walk with me. Ever sneezes, Mikasa rises, but finding that the ghost leads him toward the window, clasps his robe in supplication. It's the middle of the night. It's below freezing. I'm wearing my slippers, a dressing gown, and a nightcap. Onesie. I'm mortal. <laughs> I, I'm liable to fall. The ghost, the ghost points to its heart. And you should be abhorred in more than this. Ever since McCutzel touches the ghost's heart, and they pass through the wall. <laughs> on a country road in the middle of the day, Ever since McCutzel and the ghost stand out <coughs> on an open, sunlit country road, which lifts on either hand. It's a clear, cold winter day, with snow upon the ground. Ever since McCutzel looks up, out, about and clasps his hands together. Good heavens, this, this is the home, the place I was born as a boy. The ghost gazes upon him mildly. Your lip is trembling, and what is that upon your cheek? It, it's a pimple. <laughs> I beg you, spirit, lead me where you would. You recollect the way. I remember it. I could walk it blindfold. Strange to have forgotten it for so many years. Let us go on. They walk along the road. Ebersnees Mikatsu points out every gate and post and tree. A little market town appears in the distance, with a bridge, a church, and a winding river. Some shaggy ponies and boys upon their backs trot down the roads towards Ebersnees Mikatsu and the ghost. The boys call to other boys in country gigs and carts driven by farmers, all in great spirits, and shout to each other. Sports, sports. These are but the shadows of things that have been. They have no conscience of us. Well, Mark can't oh, get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah no he got it. <laughs> that weird. The, the joking travelers approach, and as they pass by, Ebersnizer McCutzel's cold eye glistens. He hears them wish each other Merry Christmas as they part the crossroads and byways for their several homes. The school is not quite deserted, a solitary child, and elected by his friends. His 
third. I know it. In the schoolhouse, Ebenezer McCutzel and the ghosts leave the high road and approach a mansion of dull red brick. The little weathercock sum summer <laughs> cupola. Surmounted. Surmounted cupola. I was trying to get the weathercock, all right? Think about it. <laughs> You can't get past the cock. That's right. Borrow my dictionary. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> on the roof, and a bell hanging in it. It's a large house, but one of broken fortunes. For the spacious offices are little used, their walls are damp and mossy, the windows broken and their gates decayed. Fowls cluck and strut in the stables, and the coach houses and sheds are overrun with grass. <laughs> the ghost and Ebersnizu McHutzel cross to a door at the back of the house. It opens before them and discloses. In the schoolhouse, a long, bare, melancholy room, made bare still by lines of plain deal forms and desks. At one of these, a lonely boy reads near a feeble fire. Ebersneezer <coughs> McCutzel sits down upon a form and weeps to see his poor, forgotten self as he used to be. The ghost joins him. <sighs> poor boy. Ebersneezer McCutzel dries his eyes with his cuff, then mutters to his put and puts his hand in his pocket and looks about him. I, I wish uh, it's too late now. What is the matter? Nothing, nothing at all. There, there was a boy singing a Christmas carol at my window last night. I should like to have given him something, Th that's all. The ghost smiles thoughtfully and waves his hand. Let us see another Christmas. Ebersneezer McCutzel's younger self suddenly morphs into an older boy, and the room becomes a little darker and more dirty. The panels shrink, the windows crack, fragments of plaster <coughs> fall out of the ceiling, but his former self is still alone. All the other boys have gone home again for the holidays. Young Ebersneezer McCutzel is not reading now, but walking up and down despairingly. Ebersneezer McCutzel looks at the ghost, with a mournful shaking of his head, glances anxiously towards the door. It opens, and a little girl, much younger than the boy, Stands at the threshold, looking in. It's Ebersneezer McCutzel's sister, Fan. The elder Ebersneezer McCutzel is amazed to see her. Fan, is that you? Ebersneezer! Fan steps towards him, arms outstretched as if to give him a hug, and he responds. But as, a dot, but as he, she darts forward, her body passes through his, for she is but a shadow, and puts his, her arms about the neck of a younger Ebersneezer McCutzel and kisses him. Though disappointed, the, edi the elder Ebersneezer McCutzel turns to watch the youngsters embrace. Dear, dear brother, I have come to bring you home, dear brother. She claps her tiny hands and bends down to laugh. <laughs> to bring you home, home, home. Home? Yes, home for good and all. Home forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Father is so much kinder than he used to be. That's home like heaven. For you, perhaps, but not for me. He doesn't know me, or even what I look like. Same as I hardly know you, now that you're all grown up. He spoke so gently to me one night, when I was going to bed, that I was not afraid to ask him once more if you might come home. And he said, yes, you should, and sent me in a coach to bring you. And you're to be a man, and are never to come back here. But first, we're to be together all the Christmas long, and have the merriest time in the world. You've grown up quite a bit. She claps her hands and laughs and tries to touch his head. But being too little, laughs again and stands on tiptoe to embrace him. Then she begins to drag him in her childish eagerness towards the door and he, nothing 
loath to go, accompanies her. Outside the schoolhouse, young Ebenezer McHutzel's trunk is tied on the top of a coach not long after. Young Ebenezer McHutzel and Fan bid an old schoolmaster goodbye, Bye. get in and drive gaily down the country road. The quick wheels dash the whole frost and snow from off the dark leaves of a, the evergreens like spray. On the country, ho on the country road, the elder Ebersneezer McHutzel and the ghost stand in the roadside and watch the coach go by. It's two passengers laughing and talking. Always a delicate creature, whom a breeze might have withered, but she had a large heart. That she did. She died a woman and had, as I think, a child. One child. True. Your nephew. Ebersneezer McHutzel seems uneasy in his mind. <sighs> yes. The ghost casually peers over Ebersneezer McHutzel's shoulder, and when Ebersneezer McHutzel turns round to follow his gaze, he's startled to see in a warehouse, a busy thoroughfare of a city, where shadowy pedestrians pass and shadowy cots and coats battle for the way. The dressing of the shops shows that here too it's Christmas, time again. But it's evening, and the streets are lighted up. Ebersneezer McHutzel and the ghost stand near a warehouse door on which the ghost points. Do you know it? Know it? I, I used to work here. It, it was my first job. The ghost, using half a dozen arms that fade in and out of, out of view, gestures after you, and Ebenezer McScrooge enters. Inside the warehouse at the sight of an old gentleman in a Welsh wig, sitting behind such a high desk that if he were two inches taller, he would knock his head against the ceiling. Ebersneezer McHutzel lets out a gasp <gasps> and turns to the ghost beside him. Why, it's old Fezziwig! Bless his heart! It's Fezziwig alive again! Old Fezziwig lays down his pen and looks up at the clock, which points to an hour of seven. He rubs his hands, adjusts his capacious coat, laughs and calls out to a comfortable, oily, rich, fat, jovial voice. Yo ho there! Ebenezer Dick! Immediately, Ebersneezer <laughs> looks at his younger self, now a grown man, comes briskly and accompanied by a fellow apprentice, Dick. Dick Wilkins, to be for sure. Bless me, yes, there he is. He was very much attached to me, a good friend. Oh, poor Dick. Yo, oh, my boys, no more work tonight. Christmas Eve, Dick. <laughs> Christmas, Ebenezer. Let's have the shutters up. A poor man can say, Jackie McJack Jack McJack Robinson. <laughs> Dick and Ebersneezer charge into the street with the shutters. One, two, three, have them up in their places. Four, five, six, bury them and pin them. Six, seven, seven, eight, nine, Hurry up. and come back before <laughs> count the twelve. Painting, panting like racehorses, Fezziwig skips down from the high desk with wonderful agility. Ooh, agility! Hi-ho! Clear the way, my lads, and let's have lots of rooms up here. Hit-ho, Dick! <laughs> Cheer up! Ebenezer! Yeah, That's the greatest voice so far. Uh, hold on. Deep uh, breath, Mark. Deep breath. Uh, uh, I'm really sorry. <laughs> yeah. Good. That was okay. very good. 
In a minute, Eb Dick and Ebba Sneezer have every movable packed off. The floor swept and watered, the lamps trimmed, the fuel heaped on the fire, and the warehouse is all as snug and warm and dry as a bright ballroom. A fiddler with a mu music book enters, comes up, goes off to the lofty desk, turns his instrument, and starts to play. Missy Fizzywig, one vast substantial smile, enters. Three Mrs. Fizzywigs, beaming and lovable, enter. Six young followers whose hearts they broke, enter. All the young men and women employed in the business enter, one after another, some shyly, some boldly, some gracefully, some awkwardly, some pushing, some pulling, twenty couple at once, hands half round and back again the other way, I like it. down the middle and up again, <laughs> round and round in various stages of affectionate grouping. As the dance ends, old Fizzywig clapping his hands, crying out, Well done! The fiddler buries his face in the pot of porter, and it pops up again, refreshed to keep playing. He'd be drunk. <laughs> Throughout Ebenezer McHutzel and the Ghost Watch, or rather the Ghost Watches, and Ebenezer McHutzel lives and relives every moment. He points out the guests to the ghost and talks about them anim animatedly. Though we can't hear him over all the noise, eventually he ditches the ghost like a bad blind date and follows <laughs> his younger self round the room, listening in on conversations and laughing along with various jokes. More dancing, also eating cake, negus, a great piece of cold roast, a great piece of cold boiled mince pies, and plenty of beer. Oh, yeah. The fiddler strikes up Sir Roger de Culvery. Old Fizzywig dances with Mrs. Fizzywig, an impressive display. Advance, retire, hold hands with one, your partner, bow and curtsy, corkscrew, thread the needle, and back again in your place. Oh, yeah. Young Ebbesneezer, too, dances up a storm as his eldest self looks on in amazement. The clock strikes 11 as the party winds down. Mr. and Mrs. Fezziwig take their stations, one either side of the door, and shakes hands with every person individually as he or she goes out, wishing him or her Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. When everyone has gone but the two apprentices, they do the same to them. Suddenly, all is very quiet as the young men are left to clean up. Everything since Mikutsu remembers the ghost and becomes conscious that it's looking full upon him, but light upon his head burns very clear. So full of gratitude. Small? The spirit signs to him to listen to the two apprentices. You overhear a snatch of a, the conversation as they tidy the room. What a sweet old man, Mr. Fizzwig. Yes, the sweetest. Did you see him dancing with his wife? The look on their face? Oh, yeah. He was in heaven and fully deserved to be. Where the devil did he find that fiddler? Oh, wasn't he marvelous? Nothing too good for old Fezziwig. I'd say this year's party was finer than the last, if such a thing is even possible. As the boys head to another room, the ghost turns to Ebbesneezer McCutzel. That's who spent but a few pounds of your mortal money, three or four perhaps. Is that so much that you deserve this praise? It isn't that. It isn't that at all, spirit. He has the power to render us happy or unhappy, to make our service light or burdensome. A pleasure or a toil. Say that his power lies in words and looks, in things so slight and insignificant, that it is impossible to add and count them up. What then? The happiness he gives is quite as great as if it cost a fortune. 
The ghost raises, raises an eyebrow at this, mm -hmm. and Ebba sneezes and Cuttle stops. What's the matter? Uh, nothing in particular. Something, I think. N no, no, I, I should like to be able to say a word or two to my clerk just now. That's all. Suddenly, the room darkens as young Ebba Sneezer re-enters and turns down the lamps. My time grows short. The room continues to darken until the scene fades to black. In a graveyard, midday, the black hole of a freshly dug grave, on a frosty green cemetery lawn under a sun-blue sky, nearby is Ebenezer. Older now, a man in the prime of his life, but without the harsh and rigid lines of latter years. Merely a few signs of care and avarice. An eager, greedy, restless motion afflicts his eye. He sits on the bench under a shady tree, watching a fair young girl <laughs> in a morning dress, placing flowers upon a tombstone. Her tears spark in the light that shines out of the ghost of Christmas past, who stands on the opposite side of the stone, an astonished Abysneza McHuttle, Stands beside the ghost, staring at her, his face just inches from hers. Belle? He reaches out to touch her, but she abruptly turns and crosses to his younger self, going <laughs> from sunshine to shade. Belle joins Ebenezer on the bench and, talk, and takes up what appears to be an ongoing conversation. It matters to you little, very little. Another idol has displaced me. And if it can cheer and comfort you in time to come, as I would have tried to do, I have no just cause to grieve. What idol has displaced you? A golden one. Uh, this, this is the even handling dealing of the world. There is nothing <clears throat> on which it is so hard as poverty, and there is nothing it professes to condemn with such severity as the pursuit of wealth. You fear the world too much. All your other hopes have merged into the hope of being beyond the chance of this sordid reproach. I have seen your nobler aspirations fall off one by one until the ma master passion gain engrosses you. Have I not? What then? Even if I have grown so much wiser, what then? Am I not charged towards you? Bell shakes her head. I am. Our engagement is an old one. It was made when we were both poor and content to be so, until, in good season, we could improve our worldly fortune by our pa patient industry. You have changed. When it was made, you were another man. Uh, I was a boy, tis true. I, I am not now what I was then. But I am. That which promised happiness when we were one in heart is fraught with misery now that we are two. How often and how keenly have I thought of this? I will not say. It is enough that I have thought of it, and can release you from our engagement. But have I ever sought release from you? In words? No. Never. In what, then? In a changed nature, in an altered spirit, in another atmosphere of life, another hope as it, end, as it great end, and everything that made my love of any worth or value in your sight. If this had never been between us, tell me, would you seek me out and try to win me now? Oh, no. He seems to yield to the injustice of his this supposition in spite of himself. You think not? I would gladly think otherwise if I could. Heaven knows. When I have learned a truth like this, I know how strong and irresistible it must be. But if you were free today, tomorrow, yesterday, can I even believe that you would choose a dowerless girl? 
who, you who, in every confidence with her, weigh everything by gain or choosing her, if for a moment you are false enough to your one guiding principle to do so, do I know that your repentance and regret would surely follow? I do, and I release you from our engagement with a full heart for the love of him you once were. But! Aww. Aww. A pause. He's about to speak. With her head turned from him, she resumes. Oh, no, sir. You may. The memory of what <laughs> is past half makes me hope you will. Have pain in this. A very brief time. And you will dismiss the recollection of it, gladly as an unprofitable dream, from which it happened well when you awoke. May you be happy in life. You have chosen, you rotten bastard. Abruptly, she rises and leaves him. Spirit, please, show me no more. Take me home. Why do you delight in my torment? What? Shadow Mar. No more, please. I don't wish to see it. Show me no more. But the relentless ghost min pinions his arms and turns him round to observe. Outside Belle's sitting room, late at night, a room, not very large or handsome, but full of comfort and Christmas decorations, all is quiet. Falling snow is visible out the windows. <coughs> Near the fireplace sits a beautiful young girl, nearly identical to Belle. Belle herself, now a comely matron, is also by the fire, sitting opposite her daughter. Ever sneezer Mikatsu gazes upon them in awe, particularly the daughter. <laughs> I suspect it must have staggered Mr. Ever sneezer Mikatsu to see these women, especially the younger one, because he had played his cards differently. Women such as she might well have called him father and been like a springtime for him in the haggard winter of his life. <coughs> of course, he might well have had more than one child. Nearly a dozen children explode into the room, making yeah, a tumultuous yeah. noise, <laughs> no one seems to care. On the contrary, the mother and daughter laugh heartily and enjoy it very much. The latter mingles with them and gets clobbered ruthlessly. They stream around the startled ever sneezing McCutzel, running, jumping, and playing the animorous energy. Dick. <laughs> oh, what would have not have given to be one of those children, though I never could have been so rude. No, no. I wouldn't for the wealth of all the world have behaved so wildly. God bless my soul. Upon a knocking at the door, the children stampede immediately. <laughs> in the center of a flushed and boisterous group, just in time to greet their father, who comes home laden with Christmas toys and presents. <laughs> Shouting and struggling, the kids swarm their father, scaling him with chairs for ladders to dive into his pockets to spoil him of brown paper parcels, hold on tight to his cravat, hug him around the neck, pummel his back, and kick his legs in impressible affection. They shout with wonder and delight as each package they, at each package they receive. Belle has risen from a chair to watch the proceedings and happens to stand next to Ebersneezer McHudzel, who watches her and her family closely, no doubt pondering what might have been. Inside Belle's sitting room later that evening, gift wrapping litters the floor. The children have gone to bed and all is quiet. <sighs> Ever sneezes McHutzel and his ghost look at the look in as Belle's husband, having his eldest daughter leaning fondly on him, sits down with her and her mother at the fireside. The husband turns to his wife with a smile. Belle, I saw an old friend of yours this afternoon. Who was it? Yes. How can I? I don't know. Um, Ebersneezer McHutzel. Ebersneezer McHutzel it was. Oh, snap. <laughs> I passed his office window, and, it, and as it was not shut up, 
He had a candle inside. <laughs> I could I couldn't help but see him. <laughs> oh God. I'm all choked up. It's kind of lies upon the point of death, and I'm laughing at you about it. I hear, and he sat alone, quite alone in the world, I do believe. That's the funniest thing I've heard all night. <laughs> Ever sneezes McCutzel, sitting beside the ghost on the far side of the room, stretches his and shakes his head. Spirit, please remove me from this place. I told you, these were shadows of things that have been. I can't take it anymore. I can't bear it. Sneezy McCutzel turns upon the ghost and sees that it looks at him with an oddly morphing face. In which there momentarily appears fragments of all the faces it has shown him. His younger selves, Fan, the Fizzywigs, Dick Wilkins, Dick. Bell, etc. <laughs> Terrified, Sneezy McCutzel physically attacks the ghost. Leave me alone. Take me back. Hunt me no more. The ghost offers a visible resistance of its own, but remains undisturbed by Ebersneezy McCutzel's attack. The light from his head burns high and bright. Ebersneezy McCutzel seizes the extinguisher cap from under its arm and presses it down upon the ghost's head. The ghost seems to shrink beneath it, so that the extinguisher covers its whole form. Even though Ebersneezy McCutzel passes, presses it down with all of his force, he can't hide the light, which streams from under it. An unbroken flood upon the ground, in a last great effort, he throws the whole of his body atop the cap, and the lights go out. Blackness. Inside Ebersneezy McCutzel's bedroom, the room is dark. No light shines under the bedroom door from the sitting room. Ebersneezy McCutzel, in roughly the same position he saw, he last saw, lies in his bed atop the pillow. In the middle of the progenily tough snore, Ebersneezy McCutzel awakens with a start and sits up in bed. He lights his candle and looks around. His bedside clock reads five minutes to one. Now Marley's ghost had warned Ebersneezy McCutzel that a second spirit would haunt him at the stroke of one. I don't mind telling you that Ebersneezy McCutzel was now prepared for a good, broad field of strange appearances, that nothing between a baby and a rhinoceros would have astonished him very much. But this time, he was ready for almost anything. From the church clock, the chimes strike one. One! Ebersneezy McCutzel steals himself. But you see, he was not by any means ready for nothing. Yet nothing exactly what happens. After a lengthy pause, Ebersneezy McCutzel checks his clock, sighs with a long look around, blows out the candle, and lies down on the bed. Suddenly, he bolts straight up, staring at his bedroom door. Light is again streaming in from the sitting room. Ebersneezy McCutzel gets up softly and shuffles in his slippers to the door. His hand is on the lock when a voice from the other sitting room Scrooge! calls out. Come in, Ebenezer McCutzel. Here we go again. Come on in! Trembling, Ebersneezy McCutzel opens the door and enters. Inside the sitting room, it is his own room, but it's undergone a transformation. The walls and ceiling are so hung with living green that it looks a perfect grove, I changed some stuff. from every part of which bright gleaming berries glisten. Crisp leaves of holly, mistletoe, and ivy reflect the light like so many little mirrors, and a mighty blaze roars in the fireplace. You want some funions? 
Creeping upon the floor to form a kind of throne are turkeys, geese, game, poultry, mm. prawn, great joints of meat, gobble, gobble. sucking pigs, <laughs> long wreaths of sausages, <laughs> mince so pies, gay. plum puddings, <laughs> barrels of oysters, red hot chestnuts, cherry cheeked apples, <laughs> juicy oranges, luscious pears, immense twelfth cakes, <laughs> and seething bowls of punch that make the chamber dim with their delicious steam. In easy state upon this couch, there sits a jolly giant, glorious to see who cares, who carries a glowing torch in shape not unlike Plenty's horn. And he holds it high up to shed in its light on Ebersneezer McHutzel as he comes peeping around the door. I see you peeping. Come on in. Come on in and know me better, man. Ebersneezer McHutzel enters timidly. Come on. The spirit's eyes are clear and kind, <laughs> but Ebersneezer McHutzel does not look at them. I am the ghost of Christmas present. Look upon me! <laughs> Ebersneezer McHutzel does so. The ghost wears a simple green robe or mantle bordered with white fur hanging so loosely on the figure that its capacious breast is bare. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> As if disdaining oh, nice to be warded <laughs> or concealed by any artifice. Its feet, observable beneath the ample folds of the garment, are also bare. I did some wrestling. And on its head, it wears no other covering than a holly wreath, set here and there with shining icicles. <laughs> its ice brown curls are long and free, free as its genial face. Its sparkling eye, its open hand, its cheery voice, its unconstrained demeanor, and its joyful air. Girdled round in its middle is an antique scabbard, but with no sword in it. And the ancient seath is eaten up with rust. See, you're staring sheath. at my sheath there. <laughs> I lost my sword. We'll get to that later. But the thing is here, have you ever seen something like me before, dude? Never. You never will. Have you never walked <laughs> forth with my elder brothers, born in these later years? No, I, I don't think I have. I, I'm afraid I have not. Ha, have you many brothers, Spirit? Let me get my, my book here. Ah, approximately 1842. That's quite a tremendous family to provide for. We rob shit. <laughs> the ghost of Christmas <laughs> present smiles and rises. Spirit, uh, conduct me where you will. I went forth last night on compulsion, and I learnt a lesson which is working now, tonight. <laughs> if you have aught to teach me, then by all means let me proffer by it. I'm gonna teach you. You ready? You ready? Alright. Touch my robe. <laughs> Seriously. Right there. No, no. Sit up on. Give it a squeeze. I'm, I'm not sure about no, this. Touch my butt! <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Just touch the rope, baby. All right. All right, right? <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ebersneezer does as he's told and holds it fast. <laughs> Wee. Oh, boy. I saw that one coming. It's the fan fiction. <laughs> yeah, it's like 50 Shades of Grey, the Christmas Carol. Or something. <laughs> uh, 50 Shades of the Christmas Carol. Holly, mistletoe, red berries, <laughs> ivy, turkeys, geese, game, poultry, prawn, meats, pigs, sausages, oysters, pies, puddings, oh fruit, and punch all vanish instantly. So does the room, the fire, the ruddy glow, an hour of night. It's midday in the street. Ever since the McHutzel and the spirit wander the city streets on Christmas morning. 
where the s severe weather causes the people to make a rough but brisk and not so unpleasant kind of music. And scraping the snow from the pavement in front of their dwellings and from the tops of their houses, Ebesnizim Ekatzel in the spirit see that the corner poulterer's shop is still open, and in its window hung two prized turkeys. One is the size of a boy, the other a little bit smaller. Happy crowds pour forth into the streets on their way to church, dressed in their Sunday best. Look at that bird. Ebesnizim Ekatzel in the spirit press on into Kempton Town. We're in Boston. <laughs> Whoa. Yes. Outside Prob Cratchit's house, on the threshold of the door, Ebenezer McCuttle watches as the spirit smiles and stops to bless Bob Cratchit's four-roomed house with an unspoken prayer. Inside Bob Cratchit's house, Mrs. Cratchit, Bob Cratchit's wife, dressed out but poorly in a twice-turned gown, but brave in ribbons, which are cheap and make a goodly show for sixpence, and she lays the tablecloth assisted by Belinda, second of her daughters, also brave in ribbons, while the adolescent master Peter Cratchit punches a fork into the saucepan of potatoes, then into his mouth. Two smaller Cratchits, boy and girl, come tearing in, screaming something incomprehensible, basking in luxurious thoughts of sage and onion. These young Cratchits dance upon the table. The eldest, Peter Cratchit, blows the fire until the slow potatoes bubbling up knock loudly at the saucepan lid. What has ever got your precious father then? And your brother, Tiny Tim, and Martha, weren't as late last Christmas day by half an hour. As if on cue, Martha, the eldest daughter, enters. Here I am. Here's Martha, mother, hooray, there's such goose, Martha. Well, bless your heart alive. <laughs> My dear, how late to you southern. I know, I know, oh, I melted <laughs> You guys need to decide what kind of family you are. It's a global world. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Interesting transition the melting there. Pot. Boston, England's crazy. <laughs> Irish. She's, so, she's Southern Irish. Yeah. <laughs> it's from the south part of Ireland. Yeah. <laughs> south Park, Ireland. That's what it is. All right. Where are we? Again? You're, you're why bless? Again? Yes. Why bless your heart alive, my dear? How late you are. Mrs. Cratchit kisses Martha and takes off her shawl and bonnet for her with officious zeal. We had a deal of work to finish up last night and had to clear away this morning, Mother. Well, never mind so long as you have come. Sit ye down before the fire, my dear, and have a warm, and have a warm. Lord bless ye. No, no, where's Father coming? Hide, Martha, hide! <laughs> hide your kids, hide your wife. Hide your baby child. So Martha hides herself, and two, Ebenezer McCutzel's surprise. For until now, he bomb. hadn't a clue as to whose house this was. In comes little Bob Cratchit, the father with at least three feet of comforter hanging down before him, and his threadbare clothes donned up and brushed to look sensible, and Tiny Tim upon his shoulder. He sits Tim down, up, down gently. Alas, for Tiny Tim, he bears a little crutch, and has his limbs supported by an iron, iron frame. He limps badly, favoring his right leg. Bob oh. looks around. Wait, wait, uh, um, um, where's our Martha? Not coming. Not coming? Not coming upon Christmas Day? Martha doesn't look to see him disappointed, even if it were only a, in a joke. So she comes out prematurely from behind the closet door and runs into his arms. Father! While the two young Cratchits help Tiny Tim to the wash house, 
that he might hear the puddling singing of the, in the copper. Bob hugs Martha to his heart's content until she breaks away the tent to the supper. Yeah, no, not yet. Can't breathe. Can't gotcha. breathe. Oh, okay. Husband and wife are alone for a moment. Just a moment. And, <laughs> and how did little Tim behave in church? As good as gold and better. Somehow he gets thoughtful sitting by himself so much he thinks the strangest things you ever heard. He told me coming home that he hoped the people in church saw him because he was a cripple. And it might be pleasant to them to remember upon Christmas Day who made lame beggars walk and blind men see. Oh. He, he's growing stronger and hearty every day, isn't he? The look that crosses Mrs. Cratch's face is not encouraging. Isn't he? Please? Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. Sure he is. With his active little crutch, Tiny Tim returns, escorted by his brother and sister, to his stool before the fire. The goose! The goose is cooked! My goose is cooked! <laughs> Bob Cratchit turns upon his cuffs and compounds some hot mixture into a jug with a gin and lemons oh, and God. stirs it round and round and puts it <laughs> on the hob to simmer. Daddy needs medicine. <laughs> 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 Peter and the two ubiquitous young Cratchits fetch the goose and carry it to the table. Mrs. Cratchit pours the gravy, hissing hot. Peter mashed potatoes with incredible vigor. Mrs. Belinda sweetens up the applesauce. Martha dusts the hot plates. Bob takes Tiny Tim beside him in a tiny corner at the table. The two young Cratchits set chairs for everybody, not forgetting themselves. At least the table is set. Goose, applesauce, and mashed potatoes. <laughs> not much of a goose. Bless us, O oh Lord. For these thy gifts, which we are about to receive from thy bounty, through Christ our Lord. Amen. It's like mom. Mm -hmm. A breathless pause as Mrs. Cratchit, looking slowly all along the carving knife, prepares to plunge it into the breast. But when she does, and when the long-expected gush of stuffing issues forth, one murmur of delight arises all around the table. Even Tiny Tim, excited by his two young Cratchits, beats on the table with the handle of his knife, feebly cries, Hooray! In a moment, everyone's mouth is full. That's quick. I don't believe there was ever such a goose cooked like this. This goose is just so, this goose is so tender. And delicious. And big. And cheap. It's lovely, Mother. This is a goose we shall remember for as long as we live. Thank you, Tim. After a dissolve, Mrs. Belinda changes the plates. Mrs. Cratchit is visibly nervous. I, I can't stand to look at the pudding. Suppose it should not be done enough. Suppose it should break and turn out. Suppose somebody should got over the wall of the backyard and stolen it while we were eating our goose. Goose is cooked. <laughs> Bob's mouth makes a perfect O and his eyebrows almost leave his head. The two small Cratchits become livid and start yelling at him. <laughs> Everyone oh. roars with laughter at this. <laughs> oh boy. Blinda bursts into the room accompanied with a great deal of steam and in an instant the pudding is out of the copper like a speckled cannonball, hard and firm, blazing in half of half a quartern of ignited brandy. And bedites with Christmas holly stuck into the top. Everyone oohs and ahs as Mrs. Cratchit blushes and smiles proudly. <laughs> Oh, 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 
gosh. What a wonderful pudding. Bob Cratchit holds up a glass of purpose to pose. A merry toast. Christmas to us all, my dears. God bless us. Which all the family re-echoes. God, God bless, bless us. Echo that. Everyone. God bless us, everyone. Damn straight. The family drinks and gets, a, gets to work on the pudding. Tim sits very close to his father's side upon his little stool. Bob holds Tim's withered little hand in his as if he wished to keep him by his side. Want me to cut your rah-rahs? Thank you, Dad. And dreaded, by, dreaded that he might be taken from him. Ever since McCutzel watches them with fascination. It's a side of Cratchit he's never thought of. Without taking his eyes off them, he nods to the spirit. Spirit. Tell me, if Tiny Tim will live. You're a dick. <laughs> <laughs> I see a vacancy in the poor chimney corner and a crutch without an owner. Again, you know, carefully preserved. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, dude, motherfucking kid's gonna die. <laughs> no, no. Kind spirits say he will no, be spared. No, he's not gonna be spared. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, no one other than my race will find him here. You know, what then? If you like to die, you'd better do it, right? Remember this one, this little quote, this little throwback here? And decrease the surplus, surplus population? You said that, you dick. <laughs> Overcome with penitence and grief, Ebenezer McCutzel hangs his head to hear his own words quoted. Damn straight. Man, if man you be in heart, not adamant, forbear that wicked, that you can't have, I did the wrong voice. <laughs> Edit. Man, if man you be in heart, not adamant, forbear that wicked can't until you have discovered what the surplus is and where it is. Will you decide what men shall live, what men shall die? It may be that in the sight of heaven, you are more worthless and less fit to live than millions like this poor man's child. Man, I'm, I'm the bad guy. Oh God, to hear the insect on the leaf Pronouncing on too much life amongst the hungry brothers is all the dust. Bravo! Bravo! Oscar nomination. <laughs> Ebba sneezes McCutzel bends before the spirit's rebuke and trembling casts his eyes upon the ground. Uh, Mr. Ebenezer McCutzel. Ebba sneezes McCutzel looks up, startled to hear someone call his name. Bob Cratchit holds a glass up to him, making a toast. I give you. Mr. Ebersneezer McCutzel, the founder of the feast. <laughs> the founder of the feast, indeed. I wish I had him here. I'd give him a piece of my Ooh. mind to feast upon, Ooh. and I hope he'd have a good appetite Ooh. for it. My dear, the children, it's Christmas Day. It should be Christmas Day, I am sure. On which one drinks the health of such an odious, stingy, hard, unfeeling man <laughs> as Mr. Ebenezer McCutzel. You know he is, Robert. Nobody knows it better than you. Well, to tell me Poor what you fella. Really think. My dear, have some charity. It's Christmas Day. I'll drink his health for your sake you. and the days, but sure for hell not his. <laughs> Long life to him, a Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. He'll be very merry and very happy, I have no doubt. The children drink the toast after her, and first time they show no heartiness. Tiny, drink, Tiny Tim drinks last of all, not caring. Ever sneezes at McCutzel, sees he is in the ogre of the family, and turns away from them toward the window where the evening sun sets. 
outside his nephew's sitting room later that evening. Everyone is seated. Ebenezer McHutzel's niece is in her usual chair by the door. Ebenezer McHutzel and his spirit, whose hair has by now grayed considerably, stand nearby. One of the guests, Tapa, stands in the center of the room, trying to keep everyone's attention. Now then, it's game called Yes or No. <laughs> Since you're the host, you should go first. But Fred is reluctant and waves him off. The others jeer at him and take come pot on, as on, he forces on. himself to rise. I, I think we should at least stay until the guests have departed. Oh dear, what do I have to do? Um, I'm afraid that can't be done. Here is a new game. One half hour, Spirit. Only one. You think of something, anything, and the rest of us must find out what it is. But you may only answer a question, yes or no, as the case may be. All right, well, I've got it. You thought of something? Yes, fire away. It's an animal, vegetable, or mineral. That was my line. <laughs> You're <laughs> 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 You have to say the whole page. You got carried away there. Here, sir. All right. Just say Fred, yes, fire away. Fire away. Is it an animal, vegetable, or mineral? No, 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 no. It has to be the question he can answer yes or no. Are you thinking of an animal? Yes. Living or dead? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone giggles at the not-too-bright guest. Not-too-bright guest. Tapper sits down. Is it living? A wild animal? Well... Can it be found in London? Yes, I'm afraid so. Does it live in a menagerie? No. Wouldn't go near it. Is it a horse? No. Is it an ass? <laughs> At this, Fred roars with laughter and is so inexpressively tickled that he tumbles over and stamps his foot. Uh, <laughs> no. Is it a cow? <laughs> the spirit gives Ebenezer McCutzel a look as if to say, they can't hear you. You dumbass. And Ebenezer McCutzel scowls as if to say, shut up, I'm having fun. Oh, whatever. Does it Does walk it... the streets? Is it a hookah? Yes, it walks the streets. Is it some kind of rat? <laughs> no. Maybe a pack of rat. Pack rat, that's it. Sorry, pack rat. Wait, it's a man! Fred bites his lip to keep from laughing and nods. <laughs> I have found out. I know what it is, Fred. I know what it is. <laughs> what is it? What? What? What is it? Come what on, tell us, tell us, tell us, tell us, tell us. It's your uncle Scrooge! Yes! Yes! Everybody, even the spirit, roars with laughter, except Ebba Sneezer McHutzel who is stunned and a trifle humiliated. The niece right beside him sneezes McHutzel grins mischievously and wags her finger at Fred. Yo, listen, that is totally not fair. I asked you if it was an ass and you should have answered yes. Everybody roars louder <laughs> than is except Ebenezer <laughs> McHutzel, who is now completely humiliated. Fred picks up his glass of wine. <laughs> well, um, he has given us plenty of merriment, I'm sure, and it would be Ungrateful not to drink his health. 
I say, Uncle Ebenezer, Ebenezer McCussell. Well, yeah. Ebenezer McCussell, yeah. he's two of them. You're still getting cheers. That's A crazy. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Happy New Year. Now they call you an ass. Mm. And the old man, whatever right, he is, right. he wouldn't take it from me, but may have it. Nevertheless, Uncle Ebenezer McCussell. The ghost and Ebenezer McCussell exchange glances. Denise drinks and sets down her empty glass. Inside the charity ward where someone else sits down and empty glass. This is the charity ward. Do we want to break? Oh, oh, this is break time. This is break time. Do you guys want to take a break or just keep going? Coffee. Coffee? All right. We. This little boy. This little girl. Their mother and father too. They all have an urge and oh what an urge. For something to munch and chew. Chew, chew. Now these are just swell and this rings the bell. The popcorn is crispy and hot. And others again have a terrible yen for a drink that hits the spot. Go, go, go. So if you want candy, the lobby is handy. A condom with sweets and a crew. With your kind permission, we'll have intermission. We're ready to serve Inside the charity world, someone else sits down in an empty glass. A wretched woman with an infant with one Ebenezer McScrooge saw from his window during his, the visit to Marley's of... Let me start from the beginning. Oh, God! I got tongue-tied there. Inside the charity ward, where someone else sets down an empty glass, a wretched woman with an infant, the one Ebenezer McHutzel saw from his window during the visit of Marley's ghost. One of many destitute people, wrapped in blankets, lying on cots in the crowded room. Ebenezer McHutzel watches as a young boy comes around to pick up her glass. Others like him attend to a multitude of sick and poor. Thank you, thank you so much. Do you feel rested now? I do. Bless your dear gentle heart. You know, my dear, I, I am I'm very grateful for all you're doing. If you'd known, if I'd known you people were here, I'd have come sooner and brought friends. There are a lot of people I know who could use your help. Tell me, why aren't there more places like this? The boy doesn't quite know how to respond. I don't know. He can only smile weakly, touch an arm, and move on. He walks past a couple of familiar faces and two portly gentlemen who paid a visit to Ebenezer McHutzel the day before, seeking a charitable donation. They stand off to one side, surveying the scene with mixed emotions. Quite a turnout. More than expected, matter of fact. We haven't enough funds to last until the next week. Something will turn up, I'm sure. Ebenezer McCutzel observes the first gentleman pulling a fancy watch from his pocket and staring at it. The second gentleman looks him over sympathetically. It's been a long day, thinking about going home to the family. The first gentleman shakes his head no. Nah, thinking about picking up a lady of the streets. I'm still looking for Ferris Bueller. <laughs> the watch that he never mentioned, reads about a few minutes before midnight. Outside the shadow of a church tower, the church clock reads about a few minutes before midnight. Ebenezer McHutzel and the spirits stand below it. While Ebenezer McHutzel remains unaltered in an outward form, the ghost has grown older, clearly older, its hair whitened with age. Ebenezer McHutzel squints at the spirits as they stand together. Your hair, it's gray. Our spirit's truly so short-lived. Uh, my life is well, it's very brief. It ends tonight. 
tonight. Tonight. Well, I'm in there. Abysneza McHuttle's gaze grows from the clock to the spirit's robe. Forgive me if I am not justified in what I have asked, but I see something strange and not belonging to yourself, oh, protruding me. from your skirt. Well, that's me. <laughs> Is it a foot? A claw? Please don't let it be what I think. Well, to be honest, man, it's about a foot. <laughs> but it might well be a claw for all the flesh there is upon it. Remember about the button? Yeah. Uh, oh, get close. Look here. No. <laughs> Look right there. Uh. From the foldings of its robe, it brings two children. Wretched, <laughs> abject, frightful, hideous, miserable. They kneel down at its feet and cling upon the outside of its garment. Oh, man. Look here. Look. Look. Look down there, man. Look. Look right there. Look. A boy and girl, yellow. Eat it. Yellow. Maj, ragged, scowling, wolfish, but prostate, <laughs> prostrate to in their humility. Prostate. My prostate's prostrate, fun. I said. In their humility, where graceful youth should have filled their features out and touched them with its freshest tints, a stale and shriveled hand, <laughs> like that of an age, has pinched and twisted them and pulled them into shreds. Dead Kenny's album. Spirit, are they yours? Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. They are man's, and they cling to me, appealing from their fathers. This boy is ignorance, and this girl's want. And, you know. I'm ignorance. <laughs> That's want. <laughs> Thank you. Beware them both, all in all their degree. But most of all, wear, beware this boy. For on his brow, I see that written is such is doom. Unless, you know, the writing can be erased. Or deny it. The spirit stretches out his hand towards the city. Slander those who tell it ye. Omit for your fastidious purposes and make it worse. And by the end, just the end. Just the have, have they no refuge or resources at all? Callback, are there no prisons? Are there no workhorses? Houses. No workhorses to bring them to the workhouses? <laughs> Emerson McHutzel winces at this. The church bell strikes 12. Emerson McHutzel looks about him. The spirit is gone. Another, a solemn phantom, draped and hooded, comes like a mixed among the crowd, the ground towards him. Midnight. Midnight and the last spirit will come. The phantom slowly, gravely, silently approaches. Eversneezer McHuttle bends down upon his knee, for in the very air through which this phantom moves, it seems to scatter gloom and mystery. It is shrouded in a deep black garment, which conceals its head, its face, its form, and leaves nothing of it visible save one outstretched hand. But for this, it would have been difficult to detach its figure from, its, from the night and separate it from the darkness by which it's surrounded. It is tall and stately and mysteriously present, fills Ebenezer McHutzel with a solemn dread. The phantom neither speaks nor moves. A am I in the presence of the ghost of Christmas yet to come? The phantom answers not, but points onward with its hand. You are about to show me shadows. Shadows of things that have not yet happened, but will happen in time before us. Is that so, spirit? The upper portion of the garment contracts for an instant when it, in its folds, 
as if the phantom had nodded its head. Ghost of the future, I fear you more than any specter I have ever seen. But as I know your purpose is to do me good, and as I hope to live to be another man from what I was, I am prepared to bear your company and do it with a thankful heart. Will you not speak to me? The spirit does not give a reply. The hand points straight before them. Lead on. Lead on. The night is waning fast, and it is precious time to me. I know. Lead on, spirit. The phantom moves away as it had come towards him. Ebbets Sneezer McHutzel follows in its shadow, which seems to bear him and carry him along. Outside the London Exchange, they scarcely seem to enter the exchange, for the exchange rather seems to spring up about them and encompass them, for it's its own act. They stand amongst the businessmen, the phantom stops and points to one little knot of men. Ebbets Sneezer McHutzel peers at them. Among them are a fat man and a red-faced man he had spoken to the day before. Yes, I know these gentlemen, business associates of mine. The phantom still points. Ebersneezer McHutzel takes the hint and advances to listen to their talk. No, I don't know much about it either way. I only know he's dead. When did he die? Last night, I believe. Why? What was the matter with him? I thought he never died. Oh, God knows. Subway, probably. <laughs> I eat a lot of that. You eating fresh? Five dollar Tuesday. <laughs> what has he done with this motherfucking money? I haven't heard. Left it to his company, I guess. He hasn't left it to me, or I would have put it in my mouth. That's all I know. <laughs> it's likely to be very cheap funeral. For a problem in life, I don't know of anyone to go to it. I'm not. Suppose we, we should make it up a party and volunteer. I don't mind going to a motherfucking lunch if it's provided. But I must be fed if I make one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm the most distinguished among you. <laughs> Don't choke. Don't choke. I'm sorry. You spit some food in your face. But I never wear black gloves. I get mushroomed all over them. And I never eat them. You wouldn't believe how big I am, but I never eat lunch. Great idea now, aren't they? Well, all over will If anybody else will, when I come to think of it, I'm not at all sure that it wasn't his most particular friend. For we used to stop and speak whenever we met and eat. Bye bye. <laughs> the men stroll away and mix in with other groups. Ebersneezer McHutzel looks towards the spirit for an explanation, 
The phantom glides on into another street. Outside the exchange, the phantom's finger points towards two middle-aged men meeting on, an asim, on, a, on the massive stone steps. I know these men perfectly. Men of business, very wealthy and of great importance. I've made a point always of standing well in their esteem. In business point of view, that is. Strictly business. The two men part. A puzzled Abyssinia follows the phantom through the streets. <coughs> through the city, on a busy street corner, Abyssinia McCutsell peers curiously at the phantom. I am rather surprised you should attach importance to conversations apparently so trivial. The phantom does not answer, Abyssinia. They, they must have some hidden purpose, or else you wouldn't be showing them to me. Is that right? The phantom still not responding? They, they could scarcely have any bearing on the death of Jacob, my old partner, for his death was in the past, and this is the future. Abyssinia looks around at the multitudes of pedestrians pouring past him. I can't help but notice that this is my accustomed corner. I see by the clock that this is my usual time of day for being here, but I see no likeness of myself. Realizing what he is saying, Abysnesa falls, fails to see the phantom move off. Not that I'm surprised, you understand. I, you see, I've, I've been revolving in my mind, or a change of life. I, and I should like to, to think, that is, rather hope that my not being here is the result of my having carried out some uh, resolutions regarding... Abyssinia suddenly notices that the phantom has moved on down the street and Hurley follows after him. Uh. Dusk around the bad part of town, Abyssinia McCutsell trails the phantom looking over this neighborhood. It's near sunset. The ways are foul and narrow, the shops and houses Wretched, the people half naked, drunken, slipshod, ugly. Got <laughs> <Start> a penis? <laughs> Alleys and archways, like so many cesspools, disgorge their offenses of smell and dirt Delicious. and life upon the straggling streets. Fancy ride, sailor. <laughs> and the whole quarter reeks with crime, with filth and misery. Two for it all. Right there. I'll shank your step, ass. Step, step, step. <laughs> that night in a shop, a low broad beetling shop, below a penthouse roof, where iron, old rags, bottles, bones, and greasy offal are bought. Upon the floor within are piled up heaps of rusty keys, nails, chains, hinges, files, scales, weights, and iron and refuse iron of all kinds. Secrets that few would like to tell are bred and hidden in mountains of unseemly rags. Masses of corrupted fat and sepulchres of bones Sitting in among the wares he deals in by a charcoal stove made of old bricks is a gray-haired rascal. Nearly 70 years old of age who smokes his pipe in all the luxury and calm retirement. This is old Joe. Ebenezer and the Phantom come into his presence just as the charwoman with a heavy bundle slinks into the shop. But she has scarcely entered but another woman the laundress, similarly laden, comes in too. And she is closely followed by a man in faded black, an undertaker. 
who was no less startled by the sight of them than they had been upon the recognition of each other. After a short period of blank astonishment, in which old Joe sees, joins them, they all three burst into a laugh. Who's <laughs> <laughs> the charwoman? You? No, he took Let it. the charwoman alone to be the first. <laughs> let the laundryness alone to be the second. And let the undertaker's man alone to be the third. Look here, old Joe. His chance. If we haven't all three met here without meeting it. You know, you know, you couldn't have met in a better place. Come in the bowl. You were made free of it a long ago, you know. And then uh, the other two ain't strangers. Shop two, I shut the door of the shop, man. He shuts the door, which creaks rightly. Oh, there ain't such a rusty bit of metal in this place and its own hinges, I believe. Ah, uh, sure, there's no uh, such old bones here in it. As mine, <laughs> we're all suitable to our own calling, you know, you know. We're well matched. Come in the parlor, come into the parlor, I'm telling you. They all follow him into the parlor, a space between a scene and screen of rags. Old Joe rakes his fire through together with an old stair rod and having trimmed his smoky lamp with the stem of his pipe, puts it in his mouth again. While he does this, the charwoman throws her bundle on the floor and sits down in a flauntly manner on a stool, crossing her elbows on her knees and looking with a bold defiance at the other two. What odds then? What odds, Mrs. Dilber? Every person has a right to take care of themselves. He always did. That's true indeed. No man more so. Why then? Didn't stand staring as if you were afraid. <coughs> Woman, who's the wiser? We're not going to pick holes in each other's coats, I suppose. No, indeed. We should hope not. Very well, then. Oh, that's enough. Who's the worst for the loss of things like these? Not a dead man, I suppose. No, indeed. <coughs> if he wants to keep him after he was dead, a wicked old screw, why was he nature in his lifetime? If he had been, he'd have... Somebody to look after him. I gotta stop smoking cigarettes. <laughs> My throat is sure killing me right now. Then he was stuck to death instead of lying gasping out there. His last three alone by himself. Would you like another cigarette? I need a lozenge. <laughs> <laughs> it's the truest word that ever was spoke. It's a judgment on him. I wish it was a little heavier judgment. And it shouldn't have been. You may depend upon that. If I could ever leave my hands on anything else. Open the bundle, old Joe. Don't let me know the value of it. Give me a minute. Speak Come out on. plain. I'm not afraid to be the first, nor afraid of them to see it. We know pretty well that we were helping ourselves. You and me, naked bodies. <laughs> touching each other before we met here. I believe it's no sin. A woman who sounds like a man and a man. We can do it. Open the bundle, Joe. Open my bundle. We're gonna take a mounts the breach first. <laughs> it's just a breach. We're <laughs> gonna take a mounts the breach first and produces his bundle. Of which there's not much. You're doing, doing it wrong, man. You're doing it wrong. A pencil case, a pair of <laughs> sleeve buttons, and a brooch of no great value. 
Old Joe ex examines and appraises them, and then chalks up his asking price for each upon the wall and adds them into the total. Uh, that's your account. Uh, I wouldn't give it another sixpence if, uh, if it was boiled down for not doing it. Uh, who's next? The laundress is next. Sheets and towels, a little wearing apparel, two old-fashioned silver teaspoons, and a pair of sugar tongs, and a few boots. Old Joe chalks her account on the wall in the same manner. As he does, Ebenezer McCuttle turns to the phantom beside him. Oh, this is disgusting. I can't look at this. Haven't you anything better to show me? Ebenezer turns his back on the group and stares at the wall defiantly. Hey, I always give a little, uh, a little to the ladies, you know what I mean? Oh, it's yeah. a weakness of mine and that's the way I ruin myself. I'll see you later. That's your account. And if you ask me for another penny, it made it an open question. I repent of being so liberal and knock off half a crown. And now, Joe, could you undo my bundle? <laughs> I've always lies. been waiting for this. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Joe goes down on his knees. Dick <laughs> 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 is a dirty man. <laughs> I saw it coming and I couldn't get away from it. That's what she said. That's what she said. Um, my character's in seat coming in. <laughs> coming in. Old Joe's gonna give you his old Joe. Charwoman Char sounds like, oh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's what I was shooting for, but oh my god, it's tough. <laughs> you got water there, you can tell. Joe goes down his knees for the greater convenience of opening her bundle. Mm -hmm. And having unfastened a great many knots, uh -huh. drags it a large and heavy roll of some dark stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's Emma Sneezer McCuttle's bed curtains. Wow. What, what do you call this, man? Don't you trim this shit? Bed curtains? Ah, the charwoman laughs and leans forward on her crossed arms. It's my lazy. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, you don't mean to say you took them down, rings and all, with it just laying there. Fucking trim that shit. Yes, I do. Hair and everything. <laughs> Why not? I'm a woman, hear me roar. Ever sneezes McCuttle, still on his back to the scene, listens to this dialogue in horror. What? Rings and all? Exactly. You were born to make a fortune, woman, and you'll certainly do it here. On your knees. I certainly shan't hold my hand. And when I can't get anything, and by reaching it out for you to shake in such a man as he was, I promise you I'll give it to you all, Joe. I'll give it to you. Old Joe pulls out some of the material. Joe, don't stop. I mean, don't drop that oil upon the blankets now. Uh, his blankets? <laughs> his blankets, woman? Uh, what am I going to do with these? Who else do you think? I mean, what else do you think? He isn't likely to take cold without him, I dare say. Where are you? <laughs> Old Joe stops. <laughs> he's got, he's got like three lines there. I hope he didn't oh. die of catching anything. Huh? Don't you be afraid of that. I ain't so fond of this company that I I learned about him for such things. Besides if he did, eh, you may look through the shirt till your eyes ache. But when you see my nipples, you know you're home. <laughs> no. You won't find a hole in it. No, I thresh, thresh, I will. Threadbare. I will threadbare my breasts oh, in his place. God. It's the best he's ever had, but you can have it too, Joe. I haven't been touched by another man. I want you. I mean, and find one too. They have wasted it, and I, and I haven't been for me, Joe. My loins ache for you. 
<laughs> Where I'm from, we call we call it ain't wasting it when a man's got use of it. I put it all on him, and then we buried him in it to be sure somebody was fool enough to do it. But I took it off again. <laughs> if calico, if cal, what she just said was calico, <laughs> ain't good enough for such a purpose. It ain't good enough for anything. It's quite as become to the body. He can't look uglier than he did in that one. As, as ugly as my old face. As I sit grouped, grouped upon their spoil, let's, let's do it. in the oh. scantily clad light afforded by old Joe's lamp, the three watch old Joe put the various <laughs> items out of sight and produce a flannel bag with money in it. My eyes. He doles out payment to each. Ebenezer McHuttle turns to watch. Ha <laughs> ha. This is the end of it, you see. Oh, thank God. He frightened everyone away from him when he was alive to prove us when he's dead. Ha ha ha! Now, Joe, it's doing on his dead body. <laughs> a sickened never sees him and turns to the phantom. Spirit, I, I see. I get it now. The case of this unhappy man might be my own. My life tends that way now. That is the lesson I am to draw from this poor man's fate, is it not? Shaw woman, get on top, old Joe. Not with just homebrew pantries. Oh, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. <laughs> The phantom, as if angry at Ebenezer McHutzel's stupidity, violently lashes out, spreading its dark robe over Ebenezer McHutzel, momentarily blinding him, then wipes the robe away to reveal a dark room. Ebenezer McHutzel finds himself in a dark, dark room, almost touching a bed, a bare, uncurtained bed. Merciful heaven, what is it? What is this? The room is very, very dark. Too dark, too dark to be observed with any accuracy. The Ebersneezer McHuttle glances around it, anxious to know what kind of room it was. A pale light rising in the outer air falls straight upon the bed, and on it, plundered and bereft, unwashed, unwept, uncared for, is the body of a man. Oh, cold, cold, rigid death. Dreadful death. Set up thin altar here and dress it with such terrors as thou hast at thy command, for this is thy dominion. But of the loved, revered, and honored head, thou canst not turn one hair to thy dread purposes, or make one feature odious. It is not that the hand is heavy, it will fall down when released. It is not that the heart and pulse are still, but that the hand was open, generous and true, the heart brave, warm and tender, and the pulses a man. Strike, shadow, strike and see his good deeds springing from the wound to sow the world with life immortal. Ebenezer McHuttle glances towards the phantom. Its steady hand points to the covered head. Ebenezer hesitantly approaches the dead man and attempts to uncover its face, but he cannot bring himself to do so. His hand shakes and he backs away. A cat meows somewhere in the dark. Ebenezer McHuttle, his face dripping with sweat, turns to the phantom. Spirit, this is a fearful place. In leaving it, I, I shall not leave its lessons. Trust me, please, let us go now. Still, the phantom points an unmoved finger to the head. I understand you. I would look at this dead man's face if I could, but I have not the power. Spirit, please, I have not the power. The phantom 
seems to look upon him. If there is any person in the town who feels emotion caused by this man's death, show that person to me. Spirit, please, I beseech you. The light falls from above, instantly flashes, momentarily blinding Abyssinia McCutzel. When his eyes clear, he is in a bright room. He stands in a room in the daylight where a mother and her children sit. The children play quietly. The mother looks out the window, glances at her clock, and tries, but in vain, to work with her needle. The sound of a knock, she hurries to the door and meets her husband, a man whose face, though young, is careworn and depressed. There's a remarkable expression in it now, a kind of serious delight of which he feels ashamed and which he struggles to repress. Tell me the news. He appears embarrassed how to answer. Is it good or bad? It's bad. We're quite ruined? No, there is hope yet, Caroline. If he relents, there is. <clears throat> Nothing is past hope. If such a miracle has happened. He's past relenting. He's dead. After a long moment, the, mood, the news sinks in on the woman. I am thankful in my soul to hear that. May God forgive me for having said such a thing. She puts her hands together in joy. <laughs> when I tried to see him and obtain a, week, a week's delay, his charwoman told me he was ill and she was having sex on with Joe. I can't believe those two. I always thought they would hook up eventually. Yeah, I know. About time. I know. Jesus. I've been like horny toads. And what I thought was a mere excuse to avoid me, because they wanted a threesome, and I didn't want to be part of that. Well, thank God for that. I know. I hope they didn't want a threesome with McHuttle, though. Well, his body was there. Oh. Uh, turns out to have been quite true. They did want to have sex with him, but he was Oh, like, God. He was not only very ill, but dying then. To whom will our debt be transferred? I don't know, but before the time, we shall be ready with the money. And even though we were not, it would be bad fortune indeed to find so Merculus a creditor in his successor. I may sleep tonight with light hearts, Caroline. Oh, yeah. And no foursomes or threesomes. <laughs> so we're good. Just a twosome. <coughs> Slightly upsetting, but okay. You know, great. Their hearts are clearly lighter now. Oh, yeah. The children's faces, <laughs> hushed and clustered around, to hear that what they so little understood, are brighter. Standing in the Thank sunlight God. next to a window, Ebenezer McCrooge turns slowly to the phantom. So, it's a happier house for this man's death. Is that the only emotion you can show me? Pleasure? Oh, yeah. But then I don't suppose one can find much tenderness connected with a death. The phantom then reaches up and pulls down the window shade, blocking the sun, darkening the room. The phantom releases the shade and it snaps up and out of view to reveal a night sky and the reflection of a light, lit fireplace in the, gla in the glass. Ebesneezer McCutzel looks at the glass for a moment before turning to see where he is. He is inside Bob Cratchit's house. Mrs. Cratchit and the children sit around the fire, quiet, very quiet. The noisy little Cratchits are all still as statues in one corner and sit looking up at Peter, who has a book before him. The mother and her daughters sew. Shh, trying to read. Okay. He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His trust shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor the, for the arrow that flight by day, 
nor for the pestilence, honey. <laughs> Thank you, mother. You're welcome. <laughs> the hell am I? I lost my spot, mom. Thanks a lot, mom. Thanks a lot. Why do I have to wear pestilence? Thank, thank you. Yeah, there you go, hon. Why do I have to read Shakespeare tonight? Because you were bad. Now we're going to <laughs> Don't do that, Bob. He'll just trip and fall like the other guy. Okay. Pestilence. Oh, God. Pestilence. That well kept in the darkness. Walk. Sound out your Would you like to read, Mom? Go ahead. Would you like to read? Don't make me do it. Don't make me get the switch. You don't have a lot of lines. Don't make me get the switch. All right? Mom, you don't have a lot of lines. Do you want my lines? A bad Use your finger. Walk it in the darkness. Now go. Go ahead. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at right hand, but shall not come night. <laughs> because thou hast made the Lord, which my refuge. Yeah, reading Shakespeare. You're reading out of the good book, Peter. <laughs> Even the Most High, thy habitation. 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 <laughs> I'm sorry, we can't afford to go to a good school, can we? There, keep going. Thanks to Mr. Scrooge. Let's go. Okay. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come night thy dwelling, for he shall give the angels charge over thee to keep thee in all the ways, because he hath set his love upon me. Therefore I will deliver him. I will set him out high, because he hath known my name. He shall come upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him tr in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. Can I stop reading now? Peter looks up to see Mrs. Cratchit lay her work upon the table and put her hand upon her face. Shall I stop reading? No, it's just your horrible reading. It, it hurts my eyes and my soul, Peter. Ebus Sneezer McHutzel is puzzled by this. He peers upon intently at the group. Black is the color of the material in the woman's hands. Mrs. Cratchit regains her composure. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's better now. You know, you stopped reading so I can focus on my work now. <laughs> Jesus. Mary Joseph. It makes them weak by candlelight, your horrible reading. And I wouldn't show weak eyes to your father when he comes home for the world. It must be near his time. Well, it's past it, brother, if you learn how to tell time, but I Listen, think I will he switch you. <laughs> walked a little slower. You know, he's walked a little slower, Mom, than he used to the last few evenings. You know, Mother? You know? Mm -hmm. You know? You know? Peter shuts the Bible. Yeah, the Bible, Peter. <laughs> they are very quiet again. A long pause, and then Mrs. Cratchit speaks in a steady, cheerful voice that only falters once. Gotta be cheerful now, damn Peter. I have known him walk with... I have known him walk with Tiny Tim upon his shoulders very fast indeed. And so have I, often. But he was very light to carry, and his father loved him so, that it was no trouble, no trouble at all. Just let it out, Mom, let it out. A noise stirs her. And that must be your father at the door. Bob and his comforter comes in alone. Or As the family Adam's greets Adler. him with, a cup, with his cup of tea in an unusually subdued fashion. Daddy's medicine. It finally dawns on Ebenezer and Scrooge what has happened. Oh, no. Oh, my God. 
The phantom makes no move. Ebenezer McHutzel watched as the Cratchit family draws about the fire. Peter tries to read silently to himself. Yeah. The girls and mother return to their sewing. Bob sips his tea. I ran into Mr. Ebenezer McHustle's nephew in the street today. He thought I looked a little, oh, just a little down, you know. And he inquired as to what happened to distress me, on which, for which he has his pleasantness of tone, gentlemen, you ever heard? I told him. I am heartily sorry for Mr. Cratchit, he said, and heartily sorry for your good wife. By the by, how he ever knew, uh, I don't know. Knew what? Why, I knew good wife. Oh, thank you. Well, Getting some tonight, Talk honey. To <laughs> Mrs. Cratchit smiles at Bob. Nobody knows that. That's for damn right, sure do. <laughs> I, I, I hope they do. Heartless sorry, he said, for your good wife. If I can be of service to you in any way, be sure to let me know. Me this card. Now, it wasn't for the sake of anything he might be able to do it for us. So much as for this kind of way, he was quite delightful. It really seemed as if he had known our tiny Tim and fell with us. I'm sure he's a good soul. You would be sure of it if you saw and spoke to him. I shouldn't be all surprised if we got Peter a better situation. Hear that, Peter? Maybe if you knew how to read, you'd be in a good situation. You're in a situation. <laughs> Get out of your situation. Get out of your situation, boy. And then, <laughs> and then Peter will be keeping company with somebody and setting up for himself. Oh, setting up for himself. Oh, there you go, Peter. Oh, hello. <laughs> Get along with... You? No, no, with a girl. Yes. <laughs> now you see, when when two people love each other, Peter. Yeah, there's the bird. There's the, the bee. That's right. Your father. They bang talk. into each other. You know, <laughs> the baby's making it. Oh, the thing you showed us with Barbie dolls. <laughs> <laughs> it's all bee words. Just <laughs> just as likely as not one of those days, though. There's plenty of time for that. Not not wink wink. <clears throat> anyway, we're talking about Tiny Tim. No, no, no. We're talking about death. Yes. <laughs> but however, whenever we part from one another, I'm sure that we have, we shall, none of us, forget poor Tiny Tim, mm -mm. shall we? No. Or the first parting that there was among us. No. Never, 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 Oh, Tiny Tim. All I know, I know that when we recollect how patient and how mild he was, Although he was a child, a little, you know, little child, you know, he was a tiny child. Hence tiny. the nickname Tiny Tim, yeah. He was tiny. We shall not quarrel easily amongst ourselves and forget poor Tiny Tim in doing it. Oh, no, 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 that's right. I'm very happy. I'm very happy. I'm happy. I'm crying, but I'm happy. <laughs> Mrs. Cratchit kisses him, his daughters kiss him, the two young Cratchits yeah, kiss friends. him, and Peter shakes his hand. Kiss me. Yeah. <laughs> Bob abruptly leaves the room and goes upstairs. The family members look at one another with concern. I'm going to die. <laughs> upstairs in a bedroom cheerfully lit and hung with Christmas decorations, Bob enters body. hesitantly 
and sits down in a chair close to the bed. After he composes himself with an unspoken prayer, he leans over and kisses the face of Tiny Tim, whose body we now see stretched out, lifeless on the bed. Bob breaks down all at once. My child, my little child, my little child. Emma Sneezer McCutzel watches grimly from the far side of the room. The phantom stands beside him. Ebba Sneezer shuts his eyes. Tell me, phantom. Tell me what man that was who we saw lying dead. When Ebba Sneezer McCutzel opens his eyes, he is outside on the street. Ebba Sneezer and the phantom are halfway between Ebba Sneezer McCutzel's counting house and the church tower opposite it. The phantom leads Ebba Sneezer toward the church. Rebbe Sneezer, seeing the counting house, grasps the phantom's robe. Wait. That is where my place of occupation is, and has been for a length of time. Let me behold what I shall be in days to come. The phantom stops, but my, his hand points elsewhere. My office is yonder. Why do you point away? The inexplorable finger undergoes no change at all. Just, just wait a moment, please. Ebenezer rushes off. Towards the counting house, Ebenezer McCutzel nervously hastens to the window of his office and looks in. It's an office still, but not his. The furniture is not the same, and the figure in the chair is not himself. Outside in the street, the phantom points as before. Ebenezer joins the phantom once again, confused, and accompanies it until they reach the iron gate. He pauses to look around before entering. In the churchyard, a row of gravestones, walled in by houses, overrun by grass and weeds, the phantom stands among the graves and points down to one. Ebba Sneezer advances towards it, trembling, then stops. Before I draw near to that stone which you point, answer me but one question. Are these the shadows of things that will be? Or are they the shadows of things that may be only? Still, the phantom continues to point downward to the grave by which he stands. Men's courses will foreshadow certain ends to which, if preserved in, they must lead. But if the courses be departed from, the ends will change. Say it is thus with what you show me now. The phantom is unmovable, immovable as ever. Ebba Sneezer creeps towards the grave, shaking, trembling, and following the finger, reads upon the stone of the neglected grave his own name, Ebba Sneezer McHutzel. Ebba Sneezer falls to his knees. Am I that man who laid upon the bed? The finger then points from the grave to Ebba Sneezer McHutzel and back again. No, spirit, no, please. The finger, still pointing at the grave, Ebba Sneezer scrambles to his feet and clutches the phantom's robe. Spirit, hear me. I am not the man I was. I will not be the man I must have been. But for this intervention, why show me this if I am past all hope? For the first time, the hand appears to tremble. Ebba Sneezer falls down before it, crying violently, his face drenched in tears. Good spirit. Your nature intercedes for me and pities me. Assure me that I yet may change these shadows. You have shown me, 
and alter my life. The kind hand trembles. I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it in all the year. I will live in the past, the present, and the future. The spirits of all these shall strive within. I will not shut out the lessons that they have taught me. Oh, tell me, I may sponge away the writing on this stone. In McCuttle's agony, he catches the phantom's hand. Ebba's sneezer sees an alteration in the phantom's hood and dress. It shrinks, collapses, and dwindles down into a bedpost. Inside Ebba Sneezer's bedroom, yes, it is the bedpost of his own. Ebba Sneezer McCuttle lets go of the post and scrambles out of bed. Falling to his knees, he is out of his mind, babbling like a lunatic. <laughs> I will live in the past, the present, and the future. The spirits of all these shall strive within me. O oh, Jacob Marley, heaven and the Christmas time be praised for this. I shall in it on my knees, O oh, Jacob, oh my knees. Ebbesneezer folds a bed curtain over his arm. They are not torn down, they are not torn down, rings and all, they are here, I am here. The shadows of all these things that will have been may be dispelled, they will be, I know they will be. Ebbesneezer, hands are busy as, with his garments all this time, turning them inside out, putting them on upside down, tearing them, mislaying them, etc. He laughs and cries in the same breath, stumbling out of the, the bedroom and into his sitting room. Ebbesneezer stands there, perfectly winded. <laughs> I don't know what to do first. I am light as a feather. I am happy as an angel. I am as merry as a schoolboy. I am giddy as a drunken man. A Merry Christmas to everyone, and a Happy New Year to all the world. Hello there. Hello. Ebenezer starts off again, going round the fireplace. There's that saucepan that Gruel was in. There's the door by which the ghosts of all Jacob Marley entered. There's the corner where the ghost of Christmas past sat. There's the window where I saw the wandering spirit. It's all right. It's all true. It all happened. <laughs> really? For a man who has been out of practice for so many years, it's a splendid laugh. A most illustrious laugh. The father of a long, long line of brilliant laughs. <laughs> I don't know what day of the month it is. I don't know how long I've been among the spirits. I don't know anything. I'm, I'm like a child all over again. But never mind that, I don't care. I'd rather be a proud, happy man. Hello, hello there. He pauses as the church bell rings out the hour. Ebbesneezer starts babbling along with it. Clash, clang, hammer, ding, dong, bell. Bell, ding, dong, have a clash, oh glory be what a sound. He runs to the window, throws it open and looks out. Not a trace of fog or darkness. Golden sunlight, heavenly blue sky, merry bells. Not too many people on the street. Glorious, truly glorious. Ebenezer spots a boy, loitering on the sidewalk below. Tell me, boy, what day is this? Eh? What? What's today, my fine fellow? Today? Why, it's Christmas Day, sir. It's Christmas Day. I haven't missed it. The spirits have done it all in but one night. They can do anything. 
Of course they can! Of course they can! Hello, my fine fellow. Hello. <laughs> Do you know the porter in the next street? By, by the one at the corner? I should hope I did. Ah, uh, what an intelligent boy. A remarkable boy. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Do you know whether they saw, sold the prize turkey that was hanging up there? Not the prize turkey, the big one. The, the big one? The, the, one is, the one as big as me. What a delightful boy. It is a pr pleasure to talk to you. Thanks, man. Yes, my buck. It's oh. hanging there now. Yeah, it's hanging there now. Is it? Go and buy it. Give me your buck. <laughs> the boy stares in disbelief for a moment, then thumbs his nose over Sneezy McHutzel in disgust. Walker! No, no, I, I am in earnest. Go and buy it, and tell me to bring it here, that I may give them the directions where to take it. Come back with the man, and I'll give you a shilling. Come back with him in less than five minutes, and I'll give you half a crown. The boy takes off running down the street. Dust flying from his feet. Ebersneezer McCutzel rubs his hands and laughs. He writes Bob Cratchit's address on a slip of paper in an unsteady hand. <laughs> I'll send it to Bob Cratchit. He shall know who send it. It's twice the size of Tiny Tim. Joe Miller never had made such a joke as sending it to Bob as it will be. Moments later, outside Ebersneezer's house, the door is open to the street ready for the coming of the poultry's man. As he stands there, with a slip of paper in his hand, the knocker catches his eye. <laughs> he pats it with his hand. I shall love it as long as I live. I scarcely ever looked at it before. What an honest expression it has in its face. It's a wonderful knocker. The boy with the poultry's men arrive with a gigantic turkey. Here's the turkey. Whoo, how... How are you? Merry Christmas! Ebenezer McCuttle expects the turkey. It never could have stood upon its legs. That bird, so big, it would have snapped him short off in a minute. Like sticks of sealed scaling wax. Why, it's impossible to carry that to Camden Town. You must have a cab. Ebenezer McCuttle chuckles as he says this. And we go into a <laughs> Christmas Day montage of Ebenezer McCuttle. Eric sees him and chuckles as he pays for the turkey. <laughs> chuckles as he pays for the cab. <laughs> chuckles as he re-encompasses the boy. Capuchillo. Chuckles as he sits down breathless in the sitting room chair again and chuckles till he cries. Eric sees McCuttle shaves at his wash basin. His hand shakes very much, partly because he is oh, laughing and dancing with joy. At one point, he nicks himself and laughs even harder. Oh, damn it, I knew it. Out in the street, Eric Sneezer is dressed in his Sunday best. By this time... Crowds pour forth as he has seen them in the ghost of Christmas present. Walking with his hands behind him, Ebersneezer regards everyone with a delightful smile. He looks so irresistibly pleasant that three or four good-humored fellows say, Good morning, good morning sir. sir. Merry Christmas Merry to you. Merry Christmas to you. Ebersneezer McCutzel reacts as if they're the sweetest sounds he's ever heard and returns the greeting. Farther down the street, Ebersneezer McCutzel suddenly tenses up. Coming on towards him, he sees the portly gentleman who had walked into his counting house the day before, and said, Ebenezer McHuttle, Marley's, I believe. Ebenezer McHuttle slows down for a second, then re resolves himself to what he must do. 
He quickens his pace and takes a gentleman by both hands. My dear sir, how do you do? I hope you succeeded yesterday. It was a very kind of you. A Merry Christmas to you, sir. Uh, Mr. Ebersneezer McCodsville? Yes, that is my name. And I fear it may not be pleasant to you. Allow me to ask your pardon, and you will have the goodness. Ebersneezer McCodsville whispers you in his ear. The gentleman reacts as if his breath were gone. Wait, tell me, what do you say? What do you say? What do you say? <laughs> Lord bless me, my dear Mr. No. Oh, shit. <laughs> Lord bless me, my dear Ever Sneezer McHutzel. Are you serious? What do you say? <laughs> if you What's in the box? <laughs> if you please, n not a farthing less. A great many back payments are included in it, I assure you. You will do me that favor. I'm just, my dear sir, I don't know what to say to such mumfissonance. Well, say something. Don't say anything, please. Come and see me. Will you come and see me? I will come, but <laughs> I won't see you. <laughs> Thank you. I am much obliged. Thank you 50 times. Bless you. Montage! Montage! Montage. Christmas! Ever sees McCutzle in the, is in church. It's been many years since his last visit, and he looks around nervously upon entering. During the singing of a hymn, everyone knows the words by heart, except Ebenezer McHutzel, who rapidly thumbs through a hymn book until a little boy sitting on his right hands him his own hymn book, open to the correct page. Whereupon Ebenezer nods to him and thanks. Later, hey. Ebenezer pulls out a huge wad of bills, puts entirely too much money in the collection plate before handing it to the astonished woman on his left. And upon seeing his startled look, he hastily removes a full more bills from the wad of, from the wad and places them in the plate with an impish grin. McCutzel hmm. walks through the streets, watches the people hurrying to and fro, pats children's on the head, questions beggars, looks down into the kitchens of houses, up into the windows, and finds that these things yield him pleasure. That night, in a nice part of town, Nebuchadnezzar paces uncertainly outside, he slowly approaches the front door, but at the last moment, he returns to the sidewalk. Finally, taking a deep breath, he finds the courage to go up <sighs> and knock. It makes a dash for it. He knocks and stands there, tight-lipped and shaking nervously. No answer. He begins to leave. A maid opens the door. Uh, pardon me, is your master home, my dear? Yes, sir. W where is he? He's in the sitting room, sir, along with mistress. I'll show you in if you please. Inside the house, the maid leads Emmett Sneezer McCutzel to the closed sitting room door. Oh, th thank you. He, he knows me. I'll, I'll go just in, my dear. Emmett Sneezer crosses to the sitting room and tenses up again as he puts his hand on the, on the doorknob. <laughs> no. I was going to say knocker again. The maid sees this and watches Ebba sneezer curiously. McCutzel looks up to see her staring at him. From his face, it's clear that to her that he is scared to enter, and she gives him a reassuring nod and smile. Ebba sneezer returns the smile, and taking a deep breath, he turns the doorknob <laughs> gently and slides his face in around the door. <laughs> Inside his nephew's sitting room, Ebba sneezer sees his nephew, Fred, surrounded by his party guests, all laughing a long, hearty laugh, <laughs> exactly as Ebba Sneezer had heard when they were with the spirit. He said that Christmas was a humbug as I live. He believed it too. I can't believe I 
I'm poor, but I can afford a maid. Front. Ebus Nizam cuts off, flings the door open, and startles his niece, who is, as before, sitting in the chair in the corner right by the door. Ebus Nizer is at once apologetic and turns to her. Uh, oh, uh, I'm so sorry. I, I forgot you were there. She doesn't mm-hmm. quite know what to make of that. Ebus Nizer's back is momentarily turned toward his nephew, who gazes on him in disbelief. Uh, why bless my soul? <laughs> Who's that? Ebisneezer turns around to face his astonished nephew, then nervously threads his way through the uh, guests to uh, com- yeah. confront him. Uh, it is I, your uncle, Ebenezer. It's I, your uncle, Ebenezer. I can't say that stupid. It's your own name. I know, but I can't. It's your uncle. It is I, your uncle. An awkward pause ensues as everyone merely stares at Ebus Sneezer McHutzel, a skunk at a garden party. He realizes he must try to break the ice. It's it's me, your uncle. Okay. That's you. That's what I just said. It's me, your uncle. Scrooge. But he's not. It's your uncle, McCutzel. I, I'm just not going to say it. Just go. You can't say Scrooge? <laughs> Mick- no, you're not saying Scrooge. Oh, it says Scrooge on mine. Oh, well, whatever. it's. It's your uncle, McHutzel! <laughs> oh, okay. Narrator. Way to go. Ebba sneezes McHutzel, flashes a happy grin. And if the I guests stare at him <laughs> in confusion. He grows intimately somber. I have come to ask you a question. Will you let me in, Fred? <laughs> He's like a vampire. Let you in! I, I. Fred bursts out laughing again I, and shakes I, Ebenezer's hand I, 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 so I, hard I, I. it's a it's a mercy he doesn't take his arm off. Yeah. Ow! Ow! Fred is still laughing as some of the other guests crowd around Ebenezer <laughs> McCutzel, greeting him, patting him on the back, bringing him How a drink. Drinking? Some of the others move away <laughs> from him and whisper among themselves, "Surely this isn't Ebe- so Uncle Ebenezer McCutzel." You know. I've always wanted to meet you, Mr. Ebenezer McCutzel. The droll way in which your nephew portrays you has made me very curious. I say, have you met Mr.? One of the female guests has begun to play a simple little tune upon the harp, and the others choose partners and take to dancing about the room. There might be 20 people there, young and old, but they all dance, including for the first time in years, Eben Sneezer McHuttle. I came in like a wrecking ball. <laughs> so bad. Oh, that's disturbing. Outside, inside the counting house, the day after Christmas, bright sunshine pours in Eben Sneezer McHuttle's office. All is quiet save for the ticking of the clock, which reads 9.18. <clears throat> Eben Sneezer McHuttle sits behind his desk, grinning like a madman, with his door wide open so that he might see Bob Cratchit come into his tank-like office. Bob bursts in, his hat and comforter already off. He jumps on his stool in a jiffy, driving away with his pen, as if he were trying to overtake nine o'clock. Meanwhile, trying to suppress a grin, Ebenezer McCutzel manages an approximation of his old, caustic personality. Cratchit, you're late. What do you mean by coming here at this time of day? Oh, oh gosh, I'm very sorry, sir. I am behind my time. You are. Yes, I think you are. Step this way, if you please. Is it the rod again? <laughs> you know it. <laughs> stick time. Oh, Bob boy. sheeplessly leaves the tank and joins Ebba Sneezer in the office. Oh. <laughs> oh, 
it's only once a year, sir. Bend over. No, no. Not the fuzzy one. It shall not be repeated. I was, I was making a rather merry yesterday, sir. I drank a lot. Now, I'll tell you what, my friend. I am not going to stand for this sort of thing any longer. Yes, sir. And therefore... Ebba Sneezer leaps from his chair and gives Bob such a dig in the waistcoat that he staggers back into the tank again. And therefore, I am about to raise yourself. Oh, my ribs, I'm happy. Bob gasps, <laughs> trembles, and inches away from Ebba Sneezer, picking up a nearby ruler to use for self-defense. I got the feather one. <laughs> a Merry Christmas, Bob. A merrier Christmas. Bob, my f good fellow, than I have given you for many a year. I'm going to raise your salary, and if you let me, I'd like to try and help your family too. Well, that's incredulous. An incredulous Bob stares at Eversneezer McHutzel for a long, long moment. <laughs> well, let's discuss it this afternoon over a Christmas bowl of smoking bishop. What the? Oh, you, Bob? You know my guy. <laughs> make up the fires and buy another coal. Scuttle before you do another. Again, Bob Cratchit. Cornerstone for smoking bishop. Ebba Sneezer McCutzel grins at a still uncertain Bob Cratchit. The distant sound of carolers singing an appropriate hymn grows louder. James, play the Christmas carol like we talked about. Joy to the world. That one's different. And that's the story, children. <sighs> Who's the skeptic? I guess I am, because it's not Hyler, because I am a How Messiah. much of that was true? Well, I was there for some of it, and I heard about some of it. And I made up the rest. <laughs> yeah, but did old man Ebenezer McScrooge really, McHutzel, really keep his word? Yes, in fact, he uh, was better than his word. He made everything he said he would, and much more. What What happened to Tiny Tim? Did, did you know he did, what, did he, what? No, no, Tiny Tim did not die. Yes! And Ebenezer McHutzel was like a second father to him. He became, as a good friend, as good a teacher, as good a man, as any person could hope to know. The girl seems reassured. <laughs> oh, come on, people just don't change like that overnight. <laughs> In fact, a lot of people uh, laughed at him when he changed, but he let them laugh. And he didn't pay any attention to it. I think he was smart enough to know that nothing good ever happens in this world that people won't laugh at, at first. And that, it's better to make people laugh than make them do some other things I can think of. Oh, Joe. Uh-oh. His own heart laughed, and I think that was good enough for him. And do you mean to say that he had no further intercourse with the spirits? Oh, was there a Oh, uh, well, after that, he adopted <laughs> oh, <jar> a, woman. <laughs> a principle of abstinence, and no spirits ever visit him again, oh. as far as he knew. Oh, Narrator glances around his audience. But there are no more questions. He decides that a final word. Well, it was always said of Mr. Ebenezer McHutzel, 
But if anyone ever knew how to keep Christmas, well, it was him. If only that could truly be said of us all. Merry Christmas. The narrator returns the book to the ten-year-old girl. And may God bless us, everyone. The narrator smiles. Outside, the caroling has gotten steadily louder. A tapping sound causes everyone to turn to the window, where the carolers beckon to them. Everyone in the room hollers. They rise and rush to the front door, except for the ten-year-old girl, who lingers to help the narrator to his feet. He thanks her, Come on, Grandpa. and hand in hand, they follow the others to the door. For the first time, we see he carries a cane and limps, favoring his right leg. Could this be Tiny Tim all grown up? They join the little crowd just outside the door, carolers and children singing. Remember Christ the Savior is born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power and they will astray. As they sing, their breath visible in the cold air, we look up in a way to find, on top of a rooftop, a spectacled figure leaning over the edge of the roof, peering down, smiling at the music. It is Marley's ghost, a look of peace and satisfaction on its no longer glassy face. Marley turns to reveal another ghost right along beside him. Ebba sneezes and McHutzels. Damn it. To the surprise of both, the chain around Marley's body jerks to life and begins to unspool rapidly, falling away from him as if there were a ship's anchor at the end of it. In a moment, the chain is gone and Marley is free. He clutches his waif and looks himself over and then beams at Ebbesneezer McHutzel gratefully. Ebbesneezer McHutzel grins, then realizes something. Suddenly, he reaches up and with his left hand removes the wrapper that keeps Marley's jaw in place. The jaw does not drop. Marley clicks his teeth together a few times and tests them, then breaks into a broad smile. He mouths a thank you to yeah, Ebbesneezer McHutzel. The two ghosts shake hands. Ebbesneeza looks down at the wrapper in his hand and with a flourish tosses it over the edge. The two ghosts take flight into a night sky teeming with free spirits as the group below finishes singing A Christmas Carol. Fade out! Yay! James hit that cue really good on that last song. Yeah. Way to where, go, James. Way to go, James. You're the moment. Way to play that moment. last like, song, what? right? He's about like, what? Right now. now. Wait, wait, wait. How about right now? Get on Facebook. <laughs> or maybe, and how about maybe now? Now. James! Play the damn song, James! James, Wake up, boy! He would have nailed it. It would have been so powerful. I know. It would have been powerful. Sense of time. He oh, doesn't know when to play music, and yeah. then we ruined Christmas. Christmas. Oh my God! Oh, that was good. <laughs> oh yeah. Ladies and gentlemen of the community of angels, I'd like to share a little something we've done. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. <laughs>
Yeah, we could end it in a strip club. Yeah, we could end it in a strip club. Remember, started in a strip club too. Oh, Well, Mark is narrator, so maybe Bobby should have been narrator. We started the strip club. Come, strippers, am I telling you a story? Like instead of the kids around the strip club, yeah, just strippers, and you're like the manager. Must tell you a story of Ebenezer McPorn star. Ebenezer McPorn star. Times long ago, since past. James. Are you recording? Test one, two, syphilis. Symbolus. A, B, Symbolus. Symbolus. Voice of God. Give us the voice of God. Uh, everyone talk. Blah, 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 blah. All at once. Cheerios. 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 Yeah. yeah oh, you got the voice of God. <laughs> yeah, John. You can turn, the, you can turn this speaker on out here, James. Can you turn the speakers off out here because then we could hear ourselves? It's going to be weird. Yeah. Late afternoon <laughs> on Christmas Eve in the year of 1843. The exchange is packed with well-dressed businessmen who hurry up and down. And Stop taking my the thing, man. That's my thing. <laughs> All right, James. How, yeah, are we good? Voice of God. You had to go up. with it. I don't know. Oh, good. He just like, nods like it's... Yeah, yes. okay. No, we are we good, James? Do you do individual can, can you hear mic me, checks? James? Are we all good? Testies. Use the voice of God. Hello. One, two. Hello. Is it, is it Sisyphus? It's kind of hard to say. Is it Sisyphus? It's not Sisyphus. No. Are we good, James? <laughs> We're good. Yes. James, just right. turn the speakers off. Yeah, here we don't so want to hear ourselves. Turn to just kill it. Feedback in here. One, okay. two, two, three. three. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Thank you, everybody, for doing this. Get Chris is Bobby. He plays the Indian. Bobby yeah, is Chris. There, he does uh, movie. I heard your yeah. stuff online. All right. All right. Cool. We heard plenty of reviews, and he's so disgruntled. The whole thing is, if he's have fun with it. In, yeah. You say what you want to say. Say what you want to say, Don't screw up someone else's line, but go with it. If you want to, if you want to, like, say, hey, this. Can we laugh at the table? Just keep it. Yes. Laugh. Have fun. Keep it. No. It could be. No. No. It's going to be R. It's going to make sure you keep it. This is a rated R version. We make it rated. You can do whatever you want. They made a rated R version. I X version actually. No. Yeah. Don't. If you say joke, take that word down.